theater in Amsterdam and buy a beer. And I don't mean just like an old paper cup. I'm talking about a glass of beer. And in Paris, you can buy a beer at McDonald's. And you know what they call a, a quarter pounder with cheese uh, in Paris? They don't call it a quarter pounder with cheese? They get the metric system. Welcome to the Hookup on Film with Adam and Tony. Ferris Bueller-ing me? <laughs> that was good, because that's exactly what I was thinking. Now I was looking for funny sound effects, and I saw the snoring, and then I thought of Ferris Bueller. That's good that you definitely got that. I like that. that it it awesome. might be the actual sound effect used in the movie. It, it might be. Uh, now I'll play the one I wanted to play when you came on. <laughs> How you doing tonight? What up? Stupid computer running slow. Oh, I know. But Stupid I made technology. it. Which is funny because like I was trying to put in that snoring effect and it was running slow. And I'm like, what is the luck? And I'm like, three, two, one. And then it came and then you came on. So it worked perfectly. <laughs> doing good, though. Doing good tonight. All right. Should we dive right in? Let's dive right in. Let's I it. will say for, for the last podcast we're recording of spooky season we don't have a whole lot of spooky season this in our topic list our predetermined topic list that's why i wanted to stick with the uh the clooney thing because there there's some horror in clooney and 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 julia roberts has got a couple horror things we're not going to talk about them too much but we're going to make this as as horror as we can out of our topic don't worry Honestly, go listen to the podcast we recorded with Keelan. I'll like I'll tweet it out soon where you made me watch Killer Clowns from Outer Space and Poltergeist and The Faculty. That's much that's like our quintessential spooky season pod. Uh last 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 week's though was really good. And I mean we're talking tonight if we talk about Tim Burton, Stephen King, scariest TV shows and Zodiac. Those are all pretty scary. Oh man, I got thoughts on Zodiac. I rewatched it this weekend. Ooh, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Uh, no, they're not great. Uh, well, and we're going to get to that. And I'm also curious to say that, did you say you're going to watch Barbarian? No, hell no, I'm not going to watch Barbarian. Oh, because oh, I, I, I just got done watching it. And honestly, I think you might enjoy it. I but, listened to a podcast where they literally went beat by beat through the movie. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, like maybe because I know what's coming won't be that bad, but also, yeah. nope. I mean, I mean, you know, my, you know, I mean, and not to give her credit, my wife, my wife was just watching it too. And I mean, she, she shuddered a couple times, but she made it. Um, before we get started here, um, I need you to think about something because, and Peacock in the middle of the month, Nope is coming out and please don't say Nope. Do you think maybe you might watch that one by chance? Uh, yeah, I'll probably watch Nope. I should okay. probably watch 
uh, us you would. first. If you watch, oh my gosh, if you do that, I'll watch whatever you want. Not that you know I'll watch anything. You know what else? The, the thing is, like, I have, so, like, we're going to be teasing them, teasing this. We're going to be doing a Spielberg heavy episode later in the year. Yeah. And I've been watching, like, a, a buttload of, there's, like, so much Spielberg that I have not seen. So, like, I'm catching up on Spielberg. I need to start rewatching some, um, Sam Mendes. Oh, yeah. So, like, I have, like, all this stuff I need to make up, but then I was like, oh, man, I just rewatched Zodiac this weekend. I got a, I got a lot of stuff, like... like you I'm got a lot of stuff brewing. You got, you got a lot of stuff going, Ryan. This is expensive exciting. You're, like, got your own movie laboratory, it sounds like. That's nothing wrong with that. But, like, this is why, like, we prepare, like, months in advance for, like, these director, like, lookbacks. So, like, I need... Steven Spielberg has directed too many movies. That's that's what I have to say. Well, yeah. So many. It reminds me a lot like when I try to watch one of those network shows from the beginning and each season has like 27 to 32 episodes and there's like 10 seasons. I'm never going to get through all of that. Um, not in a row. Uh, it's going to take me a long time. But I definitely understand what you're saying. Lots of Spielberg movies. But our verses tonight... Yeah, so you you mentioned George Clooney. He has a new movie uh, that came out this past weekend, uh, co-starring Julia Roberts. So our movie battle is a Julia Roberts movie battle. Her, I think her probably two most prominent roles in Pretty Woman versus Aaron Brockovich. Yeah, I'd say they're her most well-known movies, I would say successful in many regards the the role in which she won her oscar for and aaron brockovich and the role which really put her on the map in pretty woman so uh in honor of tickets paradise that was recently released we're doing a julia roberts movie battle um but can i say this here can i give you my julia roberts take before Please. we go into this movie battle? Please do. Please this do. is this is my julia roberts take it's sort of a hot take Oh no, here we go. There is basically almost every single role Julia Roberts has done, Sandra Bullock could have done it better. Ooh. Ooh. That's my. And the one exception is a role like Aaron Brockovich, where requires you to, requires the actress to be sexy. And I don't mean to take shots at. Sandra Bullock, who's a very pretty woman in her own right, but I don't think she has the sex appeal of someone like Julia Roberts. Mm-hmm. But like, I, if you watch Miss Congeniality and Pretty Woman, and granted they're like probably like ten years apart, mm-hmm. if Sandra Bullock was the same age, she could have done the Pretty Woman part better. Oh wow! I mean, then- and I think you look at most of Julia Roberts's filmography. Sandra Bullock could have done it better. Well, I'm going to one-up you, and I'm going to say that uh, Julia Roberts could have did uh, Sandra Bullock's whole filmography. I mean, uh, give me some, give me, give me some hot Sandra Bullock roles. I'm, I'm, I'm pulling her up right now because off the top of my head, I'm drawing a blank. Speed. Uh, okay. I mean, that's she's. I mean, I'm looking here at her top movies here. I mean. Uh, I don't know. I mean, that that, that was. A th- I mean, it's a hot take, you know. Gravity. To... Oh, don't talk. To that. I don't like that. Ooh. 
Um, I mean, okay, how about Julia Roberts would have did a time to kill a lot better than Sandra Bullock? Um, maybe. But that's now, like... I will say Sandra Bullock was awesome in Demolition Man. Now, I like Sandra Bullock, so like, I, I, you put me in a position here because like, I don't want to put anyone down here, but this is a huge hot take. Hey, I, I find Sandra Bullock. I'll let you roll with it. I, I, I'm not going to fight it. I, I like it, but I like Sandra Bullock too. So, I mean, it's not unseeable. I, I think Sandra Bullock is more charming and a better actress than Julia Roberts is. Yeah, but there's such, you just, but she isn't better looking, I don't think. No, so right. Think that's that, why, like, so that's why I'm going with Aaron Brockovich, because that's a role that I don't think Julia, or excuse me, Sandra Bullock could have played. Julia Roberts, though, I mean, she's a pretty good actress. I mean, I mean, a lot of her later roles that I've seen, and granted, I don't run deep on Julia Roberts, yeah. not that thrilled with. The she's in um, Dallas Buyers Club, right? Uh, Dallas Buyers Club. No, that's uh, that's what's her name. Um, the one. Oh, that's Jennifer Gardner. There's a movie where which comes across a lot, like Jennifer Julia Roberts. I can see that. Um, was it a Normal Heart? What's a movie that Julia Roberts? I should look it up. There's like a a role where it's like involves AIDS or something. Yes, the Normal Heart. She did a good job in that movie. I thought she did an all right bad job in it. See, I mean, but like that's the, I mean, you go, I, I'm, we talk about this a lot. And I was thinking about this is she, Julia Roberts is good in a lot of earlier, more earlier roles than later roles, you know, like the Pelican Brief. She's awesome in that movie with Denzel. What a goofy movie, the Pelican. It's not like her fault or Denzel's fault. No, no. That's no. a goofy fucking movie. <laughs> And I was waiting for you to say that. Or, or even she's with a conspiracy theory with Mel Gibson. Um, but, I mean, I'm looking here. You're right. Like the Oceans movies. Yeah. i never you know, seen Charlie Wilson's War, so I can't. She's, she's oh, man, you got to see it solely for uh, PSH. Yeah, I was um, great in it. She's, she's good. I don't like doubt her, but Sandra Bullock could have done it better. You know a movie I'm going to throw out there that I know you've probably never seen, and it's also going to coincide with our Tom Hanks's Larry Crown. You ever seen I that? like Larry Crown, and I know people yeah. shit on Larry, Larry Crown. Crown. It's like a very shittable movie. Uh, my wife and I saw it in the theater, and I found it very charming. Let me put it's... it this way. Larry Crown, to me, is like goes into my triple frontier category, where I'll fight for Larry Crown. I watched that movie, and it was like, wow. This movie's got heart. This movie's even M- Rami Malik is great in it. I like that movie a lot. It's a good uh, Gugumbatha Raw performance. Yeah, that's just a fun name to say. But like I'm looking here though. Besides that, you're right. They're all interchangeable. But then, like I said, that that's my Sandra. That's my <laughs> Julia Roberts hot take. So out of these two movies, which are you taking? I'm doing. I'm taking Aaron Brockovich because that's a role that I actually don't think Sandra Bullock could play. I think um, Julia Roberts is quite good in it. It's um, surprisingly legally accurate, just because like depositions are fucking like hard and tough, oh, and especially going up against a huge conglomerate, like it is tough and draining work. Um, it is. It is a good movie, and um, Julia Roberts is quite good in it. 
Um, and as much as I do like Pretty Woman, it's not a knock in Pretty Woman, but like when I see Sandra Bullock do Miss Congeniality, I was like, I bet you Sandra Bullock could have done Pretty Woman, but she couldn't have done Aaron Brockovich. Yeah, I mean, Aaron Brockovich, that's why she won the award. I definitely agree there. I think Pretty Woman's going to come in for me because, oh my gosh, this movie, like my mom was obsessed with this movie. She was obsessed with the soundtrack. Um, I was only like eight or nine when it came out. So like you could, my face is immature. Um, I thought the movie itself, Jason Alexander, um, he gets... He gets awards. Such a such a scummy dude in the movie. <laughs> he gets awards for probably top ten sleaze in film in film history. I mean, being um, an attempted rapist will, <laughs> will will give you those honors. But even even what's his name is not even is it's sleaze. That's it's hilarious too. Like Richard Gere isn't like some. He's kind of creepy. I mean, like the whole plot of the movie. You know, it's. Oh, I don't know what to say. I don't even know really how to describe it in today's terms. I, do you think they could do this movie today and pull it off and make it make sense and everyone enjoy it the way they did in 89? So, like, they don't make movies like this anymore, right? No. No, they don't. Like, it's tough because I do think there are elements. Like, I do think the story itself could work. Yeah. It's just they don't make movies like this, so it would be, like, really weird. That's why I kind of, like, Ticket to Paradise the movie that she's in now with Clooney is a little bit out of the ordinary. Like it wouldn't work for a TV show or man, I bet you probably you could, but it just, it works so well in a concise two hours. Well, you know, I mean, that's the thing is that, you know, I mean, pretty woman is definitely Aaron Brockovich is definitely the more meatier, juicier role that definitely I think is right now where you would lay her, her hat on is her greatest performance, I think. Um, Steven Soderbergh directed that movie really well. And it's hard. I mean, even though Gary Marshall is good in his own right for Pretty Woman and a lot of other stuff he's done. they like peak Soderbergh. It is peak Soderbergh. I mean, but that's why she's working with him in the Oceans movies. You know, I See, mean, I like her in the Oceans movies because she's more of a sex symbol. Like, well, yeah. that role is kind of a nothing part. Yeah. And so, like, you need someone who's, like, sexy like Julia Roberts. So that's another non, like, I don't think Sandra Bullock could have done that part, per se. Um, but it's also, like, uh, that's definitely, and it's probably a good transition. That movie is a George Clooney movie. You know, I would say more than anything lately, Julia Roberts seems to just spin out, like, more romantic comedies. Um, she was in that Wonder. Did you ever watch Wonder? No, but it got good reviews. It's um, I mean, the book is a huge book that the kids yeah. read in all the schools. But can I be honest with you? I totally like. I cannot remember who she is in Closer. In which or one? Closer. Oh, Closer. That one is definitely um, awesome. She's the one that's going out with. Um, she's going out. I'm looking at it right, actually, right now. She's the one who is going out and is going out with Clive Owen. I, I can literally picture Jude Law and Natalie Portman and Clive Owen in this movie, and I completely forget that Julia Roberts is in this movie as well. Yeah, I, I do like that movie. I like that movie. Uh, I, to be honest, I, I saw it once when it first came out, and I haven't revisited it, so it's not like I have a huge recollection of it. I which was is also the, part of part of the problem of why I don't remember she's in it. You ever see the Mexican? 
with don't be racist you know that's the hardest movie ever when i was when we're posting movies to talk about because it's like when you're posting the title of the movie it does sound that way i'm not lying to you so even you saying that makes me laugh because i i, I know and it's like a gun too i is, haven't seen it but it's not even a person which makes it more awkward but i like gandolfini in that movie her and gandolfini have a really good uh, on-screen i mean Overall, again, like I said, I think you're right. Aaron Brockovich is her, her, her gold. It's. Did you ever watch the Homecoming um, miniseries? Yes, 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 I did. It's I, um, Sam Esmail who did Mr. Robot. That's a really good podcast. My wife and I are big fans of the podcast. Um, and it's like a narrative podcast that they turned into a TV series, and uh, the first season is really good like if you like political thrillers like sam esmail um very much is like a student of like you know those 70 thrillers political yeah. thrillers yeah and the changing of the 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 film stock and it's it's surprising like it fell under the radar because it was like on like amazon and there's like too much tv yeah no i watched that whole i watched that whole that wasn't that wasn't bad at all um she was also this year on a show buried on stars that was really good. It was called Gaslit, and she, it was another show she played. Um, her name was Martha Mitchell, the wife of John Mitchell. He worked for Nixon. He was like the main guy who was caught in the Watergate, but she was the one who was like opening her mouth to the papers and stuff like that. It was another political thriller. So this is a show that stars... Julia Roberts, Sean Penn, Dan Stevens, yep. Betty Gilpin, Shea Wingham, Allison Tolman. Like, nobody, I didn't even, I think I like, I vaguely heard honestly, of this show. Honestly, Stars is probably, I could talk about Stars as much as Showtime. It's another station that they get, they're trying, like, what they're trying to do is, like, get people. I mean, Sam Ismail, he produced this show. I mean, you're, you're trying to get people to come to your show. And honestly, this show, it's you would, if you like the, if you like what you're reading and you like who's in it, you love the show. But again, you know, honestly, I've canceled stars and brought stars back so many times. I can't even say. Yeah. You can get stars for like a year for $3. Yeah. Well, and that's another thing too, is like you get caught, you can be like every three months, five, and then you cancel it and you can do what you just said, which is, you know, a lot of that stuff is, and they're trying their hardest. There's another show on there called P Valley, but again, Julia Roberts, I think I go pretty woman for nostalgia reasons, but definitely I think um, the better movie is uh, Aaron Brockovich, definitely. Yeah, uh, an actor that she's worked not only in this new movie, but she's worked with George Clooney quite a few times throughout her career. You know, we mentioned the Oceans movies. Let's talk about, let's do a little George Clooney retrospective. Yes, George Clooney. Before um, we go into it, when you think of like George Clooney as an actor, what performance or like what do you think of? What comes to your mind? Oh, you know, uh, he's falling again into another category where it, the more he goes on, I don't know is is he getting better? Is he getting worse? Are the are the good roles becoming further away? Um, he does direct pretty well. I will say that too. We're going to get into that. That is not a true statement, but we'll get into that. <laughs> um, the, the, the reason I asked, I asked is because like when I think of 
George Clooney as an actor, I like think of Danny Ocean. I think of like the suave, sophisticated, cool leading man. Okay. Which he does have a handful of roles like that, including literally the the role I mentioned. But if you look throughout his career, it's he he. I feel like he has a lot more goofier stuff. You know, he works with the Coen Brothers a decent amount, mm-hmm. and he does have a lot of roles that kind of contradict. Not contradict, but like swerve away from that smooth guy. And I think, you know, when you look like famously was on ER, they offered him, they backed up the Brinks truck to him to keep on going. And he's like, I'm going to be a movie star. And for a while, it looked like maybe he should have done ER. And then he finally ended up breaking through um, at the late 90s, early 2000s. And like now he is a legit capital M, capital S movie star. He's got. I'm looking down his list here. He's got. He's got seven or eight solid. I mean, when I say solid, pretty solid movies. So, like, to me, Dust Till Dawn. He's awesome in Dust Till Dawn, and that's totally typecast against everything else that he's pretty much done in the romantic comedy role or the Ocean's Eleven because he's cusses. He's got tattoos up his neck. He's a he's a badass in that movie. I also, I mean, it's a and obviously it's a great script. You know, Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez. Whether I mean, I don't know how much Tarantino's actual involved. Did he actually like get writing credit for it? Yeah, he's got the screenplay and T, uh, Rodriguez, Rodriguez is the official just directed it. I mean, I don't know how much I believe, but regardless, it is actors who haven't quite made it and will take on risks earlier in their career. It's like really sometimes like you wish they would continue to do that. Like from dusk till dawn, like he still was kind of coming off of ER, right? Yeah. He didn't necessarily have to choose it, but it's really cool that he was able to like get a leading role and in a role that's, you know, in a pretty cool movie that has spanned the test of time. Well, back to your, your uh, back to dusk till dawn. Um, I mean, Robert Rodriguez just got off of Desperado, which was huge. And he wrote and directed and produced that all by himself. So, like, when you're talking about Dust Till Dawn, what do you think that Robert Rodriguez... Robert Rodriguez probably had more to do with it than Tarantino had to do with it. And it's just, like, the the first half of the movie, like, feels like a Tarantino movie. Well, that was... And the, the second half... I know, but then the second half of the movie feels more like a Robert Rodriguez movie. Well, that's what... But that's kind of what they want. That was, like... They were like it's like Lennon and McCartney on the Beatles songs, you know. Well, no, they that's I don't think that's a good example. They both you can tell what song is a Lennon song, what song is a McCartney. Yeah, but song. when you look at the songwriting credits, what does it say? Well, that's because that's what they agreed to. But like, well, that's probably they have written and co-written and been involved probably three or four or five years. I mean, Tarantino's in Desperado, but he has no writing on it. But you don't think he was like saying stuff to him in the script, probably. I mean, these guys are pretty much pretty cool in that regard. But back to Clooney, yes, I do agree with you. That's probably why he took Dust Till Dawn. But then you go further in his career, and he's got more. I mean, he's got those movies that you just said, you know, but then he's got Out of Sight with Soderbergh in 98. That movie is solid. I mean, like a really good Soderbergh movie, and Clooney's really good at it. Elmore Leonard book. Yeah, he later works with David O. Russell, who has some movies under his belt, but I think kind of starts the David O. Russell run. 
as yeah, a with director. Three kings? Yeah, with, I mean, yeah, and he does Three Kings. I mean, that's not a terrible movie. Oh, brother. Uh, I mean, obviously the Coen brothers are pretty well established at that point, but regardless, it's, um, I don't care for that movie, but Clooney's excellent in it. Yeah. I mean, it's different than his other stuff. Yeah. Like it's, it's the sillier side of George Clooney. It's the opposite of Danny. Not. Yeah. It is the opposite of Danny Ocean because it's a character who like tries to be sophisticated, but like very obviously is not. So, like, that's where a lot of the humor comes from. But uh, Clooney's really good in it, and it's a little bit playing off type, even though it came before the type. Uh, Michael Clayton and Up in the Air, those are both good. All right, so do you... Michael Clayton is a movie where, like, there's a lot of, like... I've revisited it, too. I, I don't get it. People absolutely love Michael Clayton. There's a lot of, like, respected... People who I respect their film, I respect their film opinion that adore Michael Clayton. And, you know, going back to, we've talked about Tony Gilroy recently. Yes. It's a Gilroy film. I, I like it. I respect it. I have a tough time like watching it. Is it the story? Is it like the story? I mean, like the story. I don't like the pacing. Yeah. I mean, I've only watched the movie probably three or four times. I think it's good. I think he's good in it. It's not something that I revisit often, but I like, I don't know. I like the way it looks, but honestly, I'll have to rewatch it again and pay attention to the pacing because it's been a while since I've actually sat down and gave it a hundred percent my all. But I mean, it was nominated for seven Academy Awards. Yeah. People love this movie and like more credit to them. Like I'm not like necessarily trying to diss it. It's just, it like it hasn't sunk in with me. Um, um up, but, up in the air. I absolutely adore up in the air. Yeah. I think he's this like might be my favorite Clooney performance. Um, I think he's so nuanced and charismatic at the same time. Um, I think it's I'm also like really in the bag for um Jason uh Reitman and yeah. Like Reitman's like first four or five movies, I like absolutely adore, and this is right in that. I think is this his follow up to um, Juno, or did he do? Yes, this is the follow up to Juno. Okay, so he had done Juno and Thank You for Smoking. Yes, I'm sorry. Right. Thank you for smoking, then Juno, then this. Yeah, so it's like right in the Jason Reitman, like which I absolutely love, and I I think he did like it's such a great script i think he wrote such a great character and i think clooney like acts the absolute shit out of this performance like i he got a he ended up winning an academy award for supporting for syriana which is fine i just think if if you were going to give clooney an oscar give it to for this performance i who did he lose let me see who he lost to 2010 Talk about Mark Clooney while I look up we lost to. Uh, you know, I mean, as you're talking about that, I really think he deserves an Academy Award, which I believe he was nominated for. I'm looking right here. A couple of years later, in Alexander's Payne's The Descendants. I thought he was pretty uh, good in that movie. I, I do like The Descendants, too. I yeah. mean, I mean, just the way his role is in the, the storyline. And honestly, um, I'm pretty sure he's in this. i got to make double sure. Matthew Lillard is ridiculous in that movie. Um, but that... What what he is is he, I, I wanted I want more from him, and there's been times where he's delivered a lot, 
and there's times where, especially recently, it hasn't come through as much as I think he should has come come through. Like Tomorrowland. I mean, that's just not a good like script. I mean, even, even so. Sorry, before we go into Tomorrowland, yeah. Clooney lost to Jeff Bridges and for Crazy Heart. Okay. So George Clooney gives a better performance than Jeff Bridges does. It's just the Oscar thing of like Jeff Bridges also like deserves an Oscar. Yeah. So like, okay, we're gonna give it to Jeff Bridges. Mm-hmm. Um. All right, Jeff Bridges or Crazy Heart, George Clooney up in the air, Colin Firth for a single man. Morgan Freeman for Invictus and Jeremy Renner for The Hurt Locker was that year. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, it's I probably don't... Jeremy Renner, truthfully. But did you ever see a Single Man? That's a pretty good movie. No, Colin Firth. It's a pretty good. Uh, that Tom Ford. It was like the first one he directed. But that being said, I think you know, like Clooney, recently he had this movie on Netflix. It was called The Midnight Sky. Oh, it was bad. Okay, so let's talk about Clooney as a director. Okay. So his his first movie, I know you absolutely love because it stars Sam Rockwell. Oh, that movie. I saw And that it's movie Confessions oh, of a Dangerous Mind. The movie's amazing, yes. Uh, I think that movie's just okay. When's the last time? But, like, I always play this, and I'm going to start saying it a lot. When's the last time you watched it? I, I, I watched part of it a couple years ago on TV, and I was like, eh. What? You know, you know, and that's that's partially true, and I mean, and I and I definitely respect that. You know, um, it's a little bit when I saw it. You know, it's in the darkened theater. We've talked about this before. Um, again, Sam Rockwell, George Clooney, Julia Roberts, Drew Barrymore, Rudger Hauer. Um, it's a okay. I think George Clooney is an outright bad director. Okay, I Good. don't think he understands story well enough to keep me compelled in anything he's directed. So you think a guy he's been nominated for best director before? They would give that out to somebody who's bad? Yeah, because I don't think Good Night and Good Luck's that good. I fell asleep during that movie. <laughs> One day we're gonna get to the Oscars. You... <laughs> so George 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 Clooney's been nominated for producing no, best picture, best director, best actor, best supporting actor, best original screenplay and best adapted screenplay. Like I, will he, say this, I will say this to you. I will oh, take, for instance, Ides of March. I feel about the Ides of March the way you just described Michael Clayton. Yeah, I, 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 I strongly like dislike it. Ides of March. Yeah, I want to like it a lot. I just, it's got all these people in it. I've tried over and over, but I just can't get through it. Um, Leatherheads was not good. Um, the Monuments Men was tolerable. Um, Suburbicon, that should have been way better than it was, and it wasn't. It's like him trying to do Cohen Brothers. Yeah, because they honestly, I'm looking at here, they wrote it with him, so he dropped the ball on that one. I mean, and his movies aren't; they're not making money. So the Midnight Sky was the one I just brought up before. Did um, you did you see the Catch Twenty Two uh, miniseries that he directed some episodes and produced? No, no, it's uh, it's, it's outright bad. Like, I don't understand. Like, I don't know. It's, it's. I just don't think he's he's a good director. No, I don't think he. I don't think he understands. Bar. That wasn't terrible. That was. I don't want to say it was good at all, but it wasn't <laughs> right. I like it Ben Affleck. Really I like Ben oh, Affleck's performance a lot in it, but like, so I don't think Clooney has not shown a mastery of story in his direction 
to make me enjoy anything he's directed. You know, I think he... You know, he, he produced... So he produced Argo. He, he went up an Academy Award for Argo because that won Best Picture. Yeah. Ben Affleck is an actor who I really like as a director because his, his work, especially, I think, his first three films, I think he only has four, I think are really compelling. And I, I think Clooney knows how to bring out a great performance in actors. I think Rockwell's incredible in the Confessions movie. I don't think the story works, and I don't think it works as an audience member watching it to, to bring me in. And I I don't understand why, why he keeps getting money. Maybe it's because he's so charming he can walk into a room. But and, that's a true – but that one's a true story. So I, like, I mean, it's – Maybe it's just the sto- – I mean, it's kind of like I would imagine Michael Clayton, you might just – the story doesn't resonate with you. I mean – do you care about this guy who pretended to be in the, you know what I'm saying? A hitman, but he was really a game show host. I think that's a super interesting premise that I would like to see almost every other director, maybe not every other. There's a handful of directors. I would love to see, take a crack at it. And I just think Clooney was not the right person. Cause I think that's such an interesting idea. I don't, I mean, it's, I think it's like debatable whether or not it's true. Like I think Chuck Berry. Well, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, but I mean, I, I mean, mean, no disrespect for him. I like a lot of his performances. I think he's a very good actor. I think he's a very charming actor. I would put it to you this way. If you came to the movies with me and the five other people I went with, I would have liked to have seen you been the only one walking out going, eh, you know, it was, I mean, it's different when you're watching it on TV, like you said. No, I mean, obviously now, and especially when you put it down, but out of all those movies that we mentioned by him, it's the one that definitely has the most, I think, something that you can say he tried his hardest, maybe. <laughs> I mean, some of these movies, he didn't even seem like he tried. I mean, Leatherheads, that movie is, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, he's losing money by the, I mean, every movie after Good Night and Good Luck has lost, lost money. Well, not so much. Ides of March took in quite a lot of money, but. Which is so weird, because that movie is like, that does not work. I think that movie is unnecessarily convoluted and poorly paced. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's that's that's a movie that like I would love to see Sam Esmail took a crack at it. Speaking of like a guy who knows political thrillers, well, yeah, but like this movie he did recently, The Midnight Sky on Netflix, it was a hundred million dollars. They gave him a budget and only says it took in three million. That's a that's, lot. Well, it's, dollars. it's a Netflix movie. I still don't. Where is this money coming from? I'm surprised it made any money. Netflix, I will say Netflix is also weird where they, um, so a lot of like how movies used to work is they can make money off of the back end, like selling it to like HBO or other streamers and stuff like that. But Netflix is like, like normally it's like, oh, if a bunch of people watch this, like we'll give you pennies and stuff. Uh-huh. Netflix is like, oh, we're giving you a flat rate. So, so that's why, like, um, what's his face? Who? The White Noise director is coming out later this year. Which guy? Uh, What's in our movie stuff? Who did the the Squid and the Whale, Marriage Story? Oh, Noah Baumbach. Thank you. Noah (laughs) Noah Baumbach has a movie coming out for Netflix coming out later this year called, I think it's called White Noise. Yes. And it reportedly has a budget of like $160 or something like that. Mm-hmm. which sounds absolutely outrageous for a Noah Baumbach movie. 
but I was listening like part of it is like that same thing as like maybe this would have been only like a fifty million dollar movie, but Netflix is paying out the back end, so that's why it seems like a high. Gotcha. gotcha. So I I because the um Midnight Sky was a direct to Netflix release that or the Midnight Sky, like I bet you that could be partially why it's an expensive budget, but also like it was it was released solely for Netflix. I'm surprised it made any money at all. Now I know you said you usually dislike them and it doesn't sound like you've watched a whole lot, but have you ever watched Burn After Reading? Um yeah, I I like his performance in it because it's, it's that it's that goofy like he, he can be very goofy with Cohen brothers and i like the performance yes and i like brad pitt's i like i love dumb brad pitt performance yeah um that's that's a movie that has so much of the Cohen brothers sensibility that i just <laughs> really don't care for <laughs> why that movie's ridiculous okay we'll talk I, I will say when he shows francis mcdormand the sex swing <laughs> the movie's just even what's his name, Melkovich, just yelling in an office. I mean, the movie I would say is just like I don't even know if it's put together very well because I don't know what the hell's going on half the time. But it, it, it's just ridiculous, um, and that's what their movies are. It's kind of like what you asked me last week about horror movies. Like this one doesn't have a whole lot of logic to it, but it's just ridiculous. <laughs> just Tilda Swinton, just their whole relationship in that movie is oh my god, it's ridiculous. But, uh, but yeah, where are we going to now? Can we talk about a good director? Yeah, let's let's move on to a good director. Let's talk about John Favreau. All right, let's talk about. So John. even though it's not really relevant, his he had a birthday recently, John Favreau, and I posted on a Twitter account that the hookup on film, um, what your favorite movie of his was, and it got me thinking. Like, I don't, I want to, I want to talk with you. Like, I want to rank together what his movies are because one you've you're you're admittedly in the bag for cowboys and aliens and iron man 2 which i think will be interesting (laughs) but also i i don't i would be fine with like a handful of films like of his were number one well i mean yeah i mean he's let me start by saying like i'm not 100 familiar with like the lion king Okay, well, okay. Then The Lion King is absolutely last because okay. I love the Disney movie and they took out so much heart and soul okay. from the Disney. And, and that's kind of what I was read and I've heard. So the, the thing with like animation is that you can have these animals emote and express feeling. When it's literally, it looks like an actual lion just talking, there's no expression on their face. I, I absolutely hate the, the remake of The Lion King. So we're putting The Lion King last. All right, perfect. So then there we go. All right, and I know you're not going to like this, but I think next we have to discuss Cowboys and Aliens and Iron Man 2. <laughs> we're just going right to there. Okay. Well, do give me a movie you think is worse than those that he's directed. Oh, oh well, okay. That is okay, here, I'll, I'll give you the other ones. Here's I'll go The through. only other one I could say, because honestly, I'm, again, not as familiar with it. So what's your opinion on The Jungle Book? Was that good? I, I like the Jungle Book quite a bit. Okay. I don't Let's think it's his best work. Let's say I will say, I will give you, I'll, we'll do Iron Man 2. Okay. And uh, let's put then Cowboys and Aliens. Sure. That's fair. Okay. So now we have um, 
Let's go. So have you seen Made? That's the one I the only one I haven't seen is Honestly, Tentacles. Made is my Made and Chef are probably what I would but like this is something that I want you you you're using your let's let's hear what you're putting here and then I'm Okay, it. let's I'm going to go cuz I, I haven't seen Made so I'll, I'll agree but I like Elf, Iron yep. Man and Chef more. So and I really Oh, and I like Zethro. I like Zethro a lot. So I'm gonna put the Jungle Book next. Okay. And then I'm gonna put Zethro, which I actually quite like. I just I think the other ones are better. Yes. So now we have Elf. Man, I should fucking put on. Let me write this down. So we have. Uh, hold on. Last was Lion King, and we said Iron Man two, and then we said. Cowboys and Aliens, Jungle Book, Zathura. Yes. So we have Elf Made Iron Man. You're definitely chef. Elf You're Made Iron Man Chef. Made should come first. And just for the matter of fact that it's his first, it's, you know, honestly, that's one that if you haven't seen, I definitely, it's a really kind of a fun little mob movie. But yes, put mob, put made fourth no and fifth maybe fifth. it'll be fifth fifth yes or no maybe it's fourth yes. so sorry so yeah. got iron man elf, elf and, and chef elf. yes so what do you think here uh to me it's and i like this movie a lot i i respect it a lot i just don't revisit as much as the other two and that's chef yeah i mean honestly when you look at the pot, I mean, because I'm putting so much into all of this list, I'm going by just overall good movie. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's fair compared to everything that I've seen and the cultural relevance of all these movies. Yeah, I mean, Chef would be definitely third, but Chef, honestly, I think it's his great, it's it's one of it's a great directorial feat, even though it's so simple. I think he did a great job. Yeah, I, it's nothing against Chef, it's more like now. We have to like pick, like we have to like nitpick. Yeah, definitely. And I just, I will rewatch. I mean, I literally rewatch Elf like the first time, like um, it's like Christmas. It's like respect, like the day after Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. My wife and I will watch Elf. Absolutely love it. And I really enjoy, like adore Iron Man. Even though we have complex feelings about the MCU now, I think that original Iron Man is quite good. And I think it's quite good because of Favreau. So for me, I would put Iron Man 2, Elf 1, but yeah. I could be convinced otherwise. I mean, honestly, Elf, if you're talking about greatest Christmas movies that I've heard of people talk about in the last 25 years, I mean, if Elf isn't in the top three, I don't know. Then I don't know. Maybe I, you know, I think Elf is, he's made one of the greatest Christmas movies of all time. That's a whole genre. And then Iron Man, he's honestly kicked off the whole entire you know the whole entire mcu universe so i mean when you're going against them to to be which one's the best one it's tough uh personally which one do i like more i mean just personally i think i would i like iron man more but i think elf should be number one all right Uh, i think that's a good list all right so we have nine the lion king eight iron man two Seven Cowboys and Aliens, six The Jungle Book, five Zathura, four Maid, three Chef, 
two Iron Man, and one Elf. That that sounds honestly. When I was looking at the list, that sounds about what I had in my head. Honestly, if if I I had talked to, if we had a third person, they're like, oh, we we have to put Chef number one. Like I wouldn't fight it that hard. Well, I thought automatically Chef could be number one, but the way we've said it, how I mean, the, just the importance of those other two movies are are, are huge. Um, you know, I, I, honestly, I could I really really enjoy it even. And it Cowboys and Aliens. No, I enjoyed Cowboys and Aliens. I think a lot more than Iron Man too, um, because I just thought it was a good. I, I thought I liked the pairing of Harrison Ford and Daniel Craig. Now, yeah, did it pull it off one hundred percent? No, but like with people who, you know, I mean, I don't really even know who they were trying to get with that audience. I mean, honestly, it didn't. It just barely made its money back. I just I just remember that I was enjoying the Cowboys part so much and I thought they fumbled the aliens like introduction. Yeah, I mean and then it just it kind of spiraled like I think that's an interesting like genre to us, right? Because like when aliens come to Earth, it's always during like modern times. uh What happens with all this technological advancement in a time where America isn't quite there yet could be interesting. I just didn't think they did anything interesting with the story yeah so I, I remember being like super bummed out by the aliens like arriving because they did such a good job with the cowboys well you often gotta wonder too it took five i'm looking here it took five people to write the screenplay that that's not going to yeah i, I do wonder if like between all the rewrites just it ended up getting like there's too many cooks in the kitchen i do say paul dano's pretty great in that movie though <laughs> I, I can't even i mean He's- He's Paul Dano. He plays a creepy, like the creepy, like a creepy guy around town. Oh, Paul Dano plays someone creepy? I never yeah, that's guessed. what I said. It's totally, totally against character. You know, you wouldn't believe it. Sam Rockwell? Oh, Kim. I, I like, that's why I like Favreau, too. He's he's good with the actors, it seems. Um, I think, I don't, I don't remember why did they take away Iron Man 3 from him. I remember he was supposed to. I think he didn't want to do it. To okay, was, was that what it was? I mean, know, I mean, don't, don't call me on that. I don't remember. Yeah, but still. Yeah, I mean, I, I think. I, I mean, what was your problem with Iron Man two? Really quick again, uh, you might have. Was it Mickey Works' amazing uh, whips? With, with... <laughs> it just it just seems so bland. It. So what made the first Iron Man so interesting was the clash between Jeff Bridges' character and Tony Stark. Mm-hmm. Um. And it all seemed like a really good self-contained story. And I thought like they they just did a, a piss poor job with the Mickey Rourke character and introducing him to make it seem like a cohesive villain. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, hey, here's a bad guy. He's causing ruckus. Okay, bye. And I, I, I do like Sam Rockwell in it. I think Sam Rockwell is always super charming. I just think he's just so ridiculous. I just think like he there's there, he, he he he's not in enough scenes to carry the movie. No, he's really not. But there is. I'll never forget in the movie theater when he comes on the screen and he like does this like twirl, and when he enters into the room and like I let out the loudest laughter into the movie theater because. But you're right. I wish there was less Mickey Rourke and more Sam Rockwell. Now, See, yeah, but next, that, yeah. And anyway, let's move on to another director who. 
Um, has some really good highs, and I think some also pretty bad lows, and that's Tim Burton. Ooh, yes. Um, another category where we're going to then go, where the, the more we move further, the worse, you know, his career seems to become. Um, yeah, because he starts off the gate so strong, right? Yeah. I mean, that's generally how they all do. Um, he did say today, though, I, I mean, or yesterday, I did read, which is ironic that we're doing this, that he, Dumbo, which was his last one, another Disney one, like Lion King, he said that Walt Disney, he's never going to ever work with Walt Disney ever again. Walt so, took, do, you, do you know the story of him and Walt Disney? Uh, from the beginning, when he used to work there and stuff like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, he, yeah. he used to be an animator for, for Walt Disney, and... As you very obviously know by now, Tim Burton's style does not match up with Disney's style. And so he got very frustrated and quit. And then he became a super famous director in one of the projects that um, he had with Disney was um, A Nightmare Before Christmas. Mm -hmm. And then they're like, oh shit, now that Tim Burton is a super bankable director um, and they own the rights to it technically because he was working as an animator at Disney. Mm. And um, that's why it's even though he didn't direct it, it's Tim Burns and I remember before Christmas because he ended up having to direct something else. I think it was doing the second Batman. Yes. That he was contractually obligated to do. Um, so they wanted to get Disney wanted to get that Tim Burton um, name for their branding. But uh, it is it is a very interesting like because Nightmare Before Christmas is excellent, but like doesn't seem like a Disney movie and Disney fought him a lot. They, um, I can't remember who actually directed it, but they purposefully did it in Northern California because if Disney wanted to come up and check in on them, they'd have to like fly. Um, and they didn't do that. So when they came back with all this creepy stuff, they're like, you have to change this. And they're like, no, fine. (laughs) Um, But anyway, Tim Burton coming out of the gate with Pee Wee's Big Adventure, Beetlejuice, Batman, Edward Scissorhands, Batman Returns, and Ed Wood. Oh yeah, that's a that's pretty uh that's a pretty big 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 go of it right there. I mean, um, why didn't you mention the movie right after Edward? <laughs> I um, as much as your dad <laughs> would maybe be upset with us, it's a movie that didn't quite resonate. No, it really didn't resonate at all. Better. That's uh Mars Attacks. Yeah, no, that movie definitely did not resonate. I wonder though. Um, if that movie though was released at a different time, would it have done better? Do you think it always would have done that same amount? Um, I mean, I literally saw this. In, so in 1996, I was nine, yes. eight. I think I saw this in theaters and really not liking it. Well, um, you know what? You should have been my sister, who's the same age as you, and my dad dragging her five or six times. You would, you would have definitely been made to like it. No, I'm just kidding. It's, so, like, I, I don't know. Like, I can't really speak eloquently no, and thoughtfully on it, but but when you look at all the rest of his movies that you mentioned prior, they start to slip a little bit. Sleepy Hollow, it's, it's better yeah. than anything. so. These next three of Mars Attacks, Sleepy Hollow, and Planet of the Apes. Ooh, Ooh. swing uh, and a miss. <laughs> Planet of the Apes. Um, I remember specifically going with a girl that I dated, and all I did the whole entire movie was make fun of it. This is the year 2000, so I'm 18, 
2001. Uh, not, not good at all. You honestly though, you rewatch it now, it's good for a good laugh, but uh, definitely no quality work compared to what he's been doing. But Big Fish. All right, so before I go to Big Fish, I want to go back to the Marjorie Mars attacks point real quick. Yes, go ahead. We're like, like I said, I can't like speak thoughtfully of it, but he was literally coming off of such a hot streak because not, I mean, people would also put a nightmare uh, before Christmas, even though he didn't really direct it. It has a lot of his aesthetic. So the Tim Burton brand is like super strong when Mars Attacks comes out. Yeah. Like it's probably his, it's like literally peak Apex Mountain Tim Burton. And so if Mars Attacks can't succeed then, it maybe not would have succeeded elsewhere. Yeah, I'm um, like looking at it here and pretty much doing Ed Wood in reading here. He wanted to make his own Ed Wood type of movie, which honestly, I love Ed Wood. It's uh, one of mine back when, especially when when I started watching movies, I watched this movie quite a lot. Um, Martin Landau won Best Supporting Actor as Bella Lugosi, but uh, yeah, Mars Attacks, yeah, it's 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 definitely a cult classic, but not anywhere near those other movies at all. I, I like the movie solely for your anecdote about your dad. Oh, and you know, I, I feel like through us always doing this podcast, I have so much more to say, but I'm just only little little slivers about it, but uh, every time I see that word, that name, um, and it, it got so that, like, after all that bull stuff and all of it didn't go through, it became where, like, you couldn't even bring it up. Um, so it, you became, he became so obsessed with it. But uh, that movie definitely wouldn't be the Tim Burton one I would obsess over. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, you talk about Big Fish and... Yeah. Um... I, I do I don't know like how much of this was like directly planned throughout his career, but you look at his IMDb page and it really kind of seems like he's in a little bit of a director jail, right? Yeah. Because of Mars Attacks Sleep Hollow and Planet of the Apes, which was I mean, revive I mean, that movie is also kind of poo-poo. Yeah. But yeah. also like really, really hated. And then he comes back with Big Fish, which I absolutely adore. And I don't think is uncoincidentally one of the least Tim Burton-y movies he's ever made. Now, but like, when you say Tim Burton-y movies, do you mean like the darkness of it? It's always weird. It, it is weird, but there's a lightness to it. And, a, you know, no pun intended, a magical... What's the... Listen, listen what's, to what's this. Right verb? Like a spark to it? That, oh, go on. Continue. I was just going to say, there's... There's a magical quality to the movie because of the fantasy elements of it that I think brings a lightness to it that is almost the exact opposite of the Tim Burton aesthetic. And I think, well, there's, you know, the, in the broader sense, it is kind of goofy. I do think it has a really different aesthetic. Like if you had shown me Big Fish without showing me like the director and I didn't hear anything of it, heard anything about it, I, I would not have guessed it's a Tim Burton movie. Okay, that's fair. Um, I'm reading here that uh, Spielberg was negotiating to direct it after Minority Report, but uh, he dropped out to focus on Catch Me If You Can. And he wanted Jack Nicholson to play the role of Edward Bloom. Ooh, I mean, um, what's his... Uh, Edward, Ewan McGregor? Yeah, thank you. Ewan McGregor's excellent. Tonight. That, oh, he is. That I can't um, see Nicholson playing that role. No, no. Um, Weird, weirdly, I I can see Spielberg directing yeah. Big Fish. It would have been different, obviously. 
Um, but there is like a, a mainstreamness to Big Fish, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I mean, I love this movie. I think it's a great movie. I I I think it's a little bit underrated in the Tim Burton oeuvre. I think partially because it has it doesn't have a lot of Tim Burtonness in it. You know, um, I was watching like a behind the scenes of like Nightmare Before Christmas and um, they were talking about the aesthetic of like no straight lines. Like that's why everything's curvy and if you look at all the backgrounds of the houses, like it looks like purposely looks off because of that. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't like, have that same aesthetic with Big Fish. That's true. That's- I don't know. It's, I, I, I mean, I like the Batman movies and Beetlejuice and all that stuff, but man, gun to my head, I think I might pick Big Fish as Tim Burton's best movie. Okay, so you're not going to pick did you like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? Yeah, so now we're on the stretch of like, it's like him and Johnny Depp are like too big for their britches. Like, and <laughs> like no one's telling him no. So all th- this run is like Aunt Tim Burton that like, I feel like no one's telling him no. Of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Corpse Bride, Sweeney Todd, Alice in Wonderland, Dark Shadows. Because he's going, he's going like pretty much up to like, it's like Johnny Depp is like, has to be they're both like going and they're just like fueling each other because this is a this is a long time this is 2005 all the way to 2012 they're that's all they worked is together and like johnny depp is i feel like the perfect avatar for tim burton's weirdness like i feel like the two align and see eye to eye it's just these movies are they're fine like they're not like outright bad like I think the Mars Attacks Sleepy Hollow Planet of the Apes run is, but they're certainly not great. Dark Shadows is bad. Uh, Sweet Todd is good. I mean, for what it is, is a musical. Um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Alice in Wonderland. I like 2014's Big Eyes. I like that movie a lot. Oh, we skipped over Frankenweenie. Oh, we're not talking about Frankenweenie. I like Frankenweenie. Frank- like Frank Frankenweenie, I'm going to talk about Frankenweenie because that's like if you've ever seen, you ever see his 1984, his very, very first before uh, he does uh, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, he does this. It's only, oh, 29 minutes long. It's what he did for Walt Disney. It was his original Frankie Weenie. It's like black and white live action. It's, it's, it's not. It, it, it's Shelley Duvall's in it. Daniel Stern's in it. Um, I mean, Frankie Weenie, the, the cartoon's good, too. It's Actually, I take that back. I like Frank Weenie the cartoon. He's cute. It's it's solid for what it is. It is. It is solid for what it is. Like if you are like looking for, I bet you it's probably on Disney Plus. I mean, don't hold me to that, and I'm not going to look it up. But like, <laughs> if you're looking for like something for like the Hocus Pocus type like movie to watch during spooky season, but you're like me and a baby for scary movies, it's I think kind of the perfect movie to watch. Yeah, I mean, definitely, I, I like I liked the way it was filmed, too. It's like in that black and white, it gives it that overall classic feel. Um, and it, it feels like a, a Tim Burton movie. It does. It definitely does. I will definitely um, agree with you. But there. yeah, now we're in this like latter part of his career where I kind of don't know what he's doing with Big Eyes, Miss Pellegrine's Home for Peculiar Children, and Dumbo. Ooh, yeah. Um... What is he doing? 
To well, be honest, big, I, ha- I haven't seen Big Eyes. I love Amy Adams and Christoph Waltz, so I don't oh, know why I haven't Christoph seen it. Waltz, Christoph Waltz nails the ridiculous of all ridiculous roles. Um, but Big Eyes, it falls into again. It's a little bit, I believe there was Oscars for that. I'm looking here, Golden Globes. Uh, I think I think they like wanted Oscars, and I, I just don't think people yeah, it didn't, it didn't do cared it. for the movie enough. Didn't do it as much as it, it could. But honestly, you'll you watch the movie. It's 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 good for everyone that's in it, and it's probably as honestly, I'll say it's his best thing since Big Fish. Looking at all his movies, because it's I mean that's book. damning with faint praise. Um, you know, I know Miss Pettigrew's Home for Peculiar Children. I did not enjoy that movie at all. I didn't. I didn't even see that movie. Um. And Dumbo, I miss Dumbo. Unfortunately, did you see Dumbo? No, it got bad reviews, and it, it the, the trailers look bad. But it's weird, like it's like Guy Ritchie directing Aladdin. It's like Disney's like trying to go for big names, and these directors are like, "Shit, I need another house in Malibu. Sure, I'll direct this movie." But like, almost like no resonance within the zeitgeist whatsoever. Um, so he says, so this is what Burton said this week, that he's done making Disney movies. They're a horrible big circus, he said. He said they uh, directed, you know, that they pretty much destroyed Dumbo and they've gotten too big. Kooky, eerie movies he likes making no longer made sense at that place. So he's leaving and there's that. Yeah. Dumbo. I mean, it's, I mean, he, she should have known for literally when he started his career that his values don't align with Disney values. Well, yeah, and I think also what you just said is that the money, from what I hear, he's got like a huge castle and he shares it with Helena Bottom Carter, but there's like a bridge between the both hot castles because they don't live together. So they don't, aren't they? They're married, right? They were married, but even when they weren't married, they had these two castles that they live separate, but on the same. Oh, it's really kind of, you know, Tim Burton. I mean, the guy's got probably, you know, I'm sure it's not all sunny, sunny. I don't want to judge him, but I'm sure it's not all sunny wallpaper around everywhere. I'm sure it's pretty cool and dark and gothic, cool stuff. Before we move on, I just like, I, even though we kind of gloss past it, but like, it was not a thing to make superhero movies in the late 80s. Mm-hmm. And even though it's like, you you like those Batman, Michael Keane Batman movies more than I do. Uh-huh. And I give got to give a lot of respect for pushing for Michael Keaton, his boy, and making a movie, like, obviously, you know, later they all turn out to be dark and gritty, but, like, you know, superhero movies was like Superman. They're all light and, you know, good farm boy Clark Kent. And to bring, like, even some sort of darkness to the superhero genre and to bring the superhero genre into the light of day. Yeah. Like, I think he gets a lot of credit. Like, I don't love those movies like i love the nolan movies but um like they're very very good and for a certain generation older than me like you like those movies are they're batman movies and rightfully so see i and i totally i can understand that like do you remember what like did you watch these movies a whole lot before you watched the nolan movies or probably not i, I honestly can't even remember the, I, I mean, so like and which is totally what I, you know, I'm looking here and what you just said is definitely right. Because these are some of the people that they wanted him to pick for Batman. They wanted Mel Gibson, Kevin Costner, uh, Tom Selleck, Bill Murray. 
I mean, can you imagine Bill Murray? No, Bill wasn't Bill Murray out for Joker. No, Joker was right here. I have all the Joker people. We got Tim Curry, David Bowie, John Lithgow, Brad Dorif, Ray Liotta, James Woods for Joker. Uh, um, Bill Murray. They wanted Bill Murray for Batman. I do specifically know that for a fact. That I mean, there's a lightheartedness that Michael Keane brings to Bruce Wayne, but Bill Murray would have been too much. I mean, or even Harrison Ford. I mean, he would have been a little older, I think, for the role. I don't know. Um, but Tim Burton himself, I think, you know, I think he's the one who really makes those movies. Even Batman Returns, I think, is solid. <laughs> I think it's, I, I mean, I love, like, these behind-the-scenes stories where, like, the Batman movie was, like, a, a legit hit and a lot of merchandising, great merchandising opportunity. And they wanted the same thing for Batman Returns, but like because he had so much juice from the first one, he's like, no, like Danny DeVito is like, is like a very quintessential Tim Burton gross character. Yeah, and like, he fought for it, and the studio was so pissed at him. Like I think they had a deal with like McDonald's, like for Penguin toys, and McDonald's like, we can't fucking make this guy into a, a into a Happy Meal. <laughs> they were they were the studio was like so pissed at him. Well, and, and, and because he brought so much Tim Burton and like non mainstreamness to it that they lost out on, on, on a lot of merchandising opportunities. But you know what? He got to make the movie he wanted to make. So, yeah. And that makes me think too now if this character came out today, would he have had as much tr- trouble coming up with the. I mean, I think it's not. It's. Well, then again, they didn't really do anything for. Because uh, with these movies, I do remember McDonald's was involved. Where with Christopher Nolan, they sure didn't do any Dark Knight McDonald's cups and stuff like that, which would have made for very interesting, uh, awesome stuff. But uh, I think, you know, Tim Burton, you know, Beetlejuice, Big uh, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, you know, like you said, those first movies. Edward Scissorhands is a huge one. Um, Now, have you ever seen that or no? Yeah, it's it's surprisingly good. Yeah, I mean, it is for what? what it's meant to be i mean vincent price is in it which it's his last if i'm not mistaken his last movie role um but i mean tim burton i think all all, from what i'm seeing i don't know like if he doesn't get the cat because i mean they gave him 150 million dollars and when i say they what i mean by they is warner brothers gave him 150 million dollars for dark shadows now, let me tell you something. Dark Shadows, my aunt had these videos as a kid. And I'd go up to my dad and I'd go, Dad, what's Dark Shadows? And he goes, that's nothing but some shitty vampire. What do you call it? A shitty vampire a soap opera. So when this movie comes out, I'm like, Dark Shadows? They're making a movie of this? And you got to be honest, like you? What did you know about Dark Shadows before it came out? Nothing. No, I didn't. I didn't. Nobody. I mean, I didn't. I never really looked more. All <laughs> I knew about this comment that my so like I don't understand how the studio gave him one fifty. He didn't even double that back. I mean, I, I could be working for the studio and been like, maybe we shouldn't give Tim this money. But you know, I think some of these guys for a while got that carte de blanche where you just get to do whatever you want. You get asked for the cash. I mean, you're talking, this is the same company who you made Batman and Beetlejuice for. So, of course, they're going to be more off to give it to you. But then again, he hasn't worked with them since then. So, maybe not. 
All right, shall we dive, delve, that's the word I'm looking for, delve, a little bit deeper into light spooky season with some Stephen King adaptations? Yes, let's do it. All right, so I specifically asked you, are we doing spooky Stephen King? And you said, no, just any Stephen King. Yeah. Obviously, he has a lot of, you know, a lot of his adaptations have been made into legit amazing movies in the horror genre. I mean, literally, the first two adaptations are Brian De Palma's Carrie and Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. Yes. I mean, talk about right. I mean, though, you know, it's just based on Stephen King's work. Right there is a pretty good branding opportunities with those two movies. But he also has a handful, like, he's just a, such a prolific writer that he, he just has stories of, you know, a lot of, I mean, it's basically outright drama and um horror but he's got a lot of stuff so we picked our top five movie adaptations of stephen king yes all right um you want me to go first or we could do you want to do each five and then each four each two or you want to do it all together so here's the thing i you no, you you do your top five okay because i have a top two and then three okay. four and five are kind of all right, my top five, okay, is number five, tied for five, is um, two movies that mean a whole lot to me in two different ways. Number one is Pet Cemetery and Christine. They're tied for five. This is the only tie out of all of them. Um, Christine, this movie, oh, my Lord. Um, uh well, off air, I could tell you more about it. But the very first time I watched this movie, I enjoyed it more than I've ever enjoyed a movie. I laughed so hard. Um, it was great. It was a great time. That So much so that in my whole high school, when I got my 1987 Ford Taurus in 1995 to drive to high school, I called it Christine. Um, because one time when I was driving it, it shut off. So I thought it was trying to hurt me. But for some unknown reason, all the girls found this hilarious, and I brought Christine over, and we watched Christine. I later was to find out that they actually wanted to, like, kiss and make out with me. Um, I just brought over Christine just to watch Christine, and I was not hip to what they really wanted to do. Can I tell you, like, so yeah. I'm rewatching Entourage right now, and the reason yeah. I bring that up is yeah. because... Like when I was really into Entourage, I bought the box sets. And when yeah. I would like hang out with girls, like, hey, come over to my place and watch Entourage. Yeah. And I just wanted to watch Entourage, yeah. not realizing that if you wanted to make out. Yeah. I'm like, man, I was such a stupid person. Yeah, I was really, really <laughs> stupid, man. And I mean, I look. Like, I should have thought it's like, no girl fucking wants to watch Entourage. Well, yeah. <laughs> And I mean, I, I, honestly, I just, yeah, I mean, yeah, especially, yeah, later date, we could talk more about it. But yes, so that's that. And then Pet Cemetery, that is the first movie I remember specifically not being able to sleep. Well, actually, yeah, it's the, because my very first on this list is the first I remember. So this is right around the same time, but just that whole idea, even the remake was pretty solid, but um, four is it, um, either one even though for this one, I'm going to go with the remake because I think they really did a great job. Um, three is Misery. Um, two is Shawshank Redemption. And one, even though Stephen King hates it, is Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. Okay. Um, so if we're going... So here's, here's the, the thing. 
with me is that I have a top two that's absolutely a top two and like I'll ride and die for. And then a whole bunch of like movies that are solid that like I enjoy you know, three and a half out of four stars. I just don't love them, love them. Um, so here's what I'm going to do. I feel like you can't do a top five without putting the shining on the list. So I'll put the shining at five. And then for three and four, I'm going to go with the pair of Rob Reiner movies of Stand By Me and Misery, which Rob Reiner had a really incredible five-movie stretch there in the late 80s, early 90s, and then included Stand By Me and Misery. Um, I read the, I had to read the, the novella The Body. I remember having to read it in like uh, junior high school English class, and then we watched the movie and had to discuss literary adaptations but uh i think it's a super solid movie and then the top two the two movies that i absolutely love and that's two of frank darabont's three adaptations and that's the mist and shawshank so i mean shawshank is just absolutely incredible i absolutely love that movie it was re-released in theaters i saw it and i ended up seeing in theaters like right before the pandemic i own the novella um Darabont made so many smart changes from the novel to make an incredible movie. It's my number one. And then my number two is The Mist, which is a horror movie because um, it involves like aliens or creatures. I can't even remember. It's like almost not even important. It's just don't go out into the mist. But I've, I'm on record that I absolutely love um, bleak endings. And the mess probably has like the bleakest ending. And I knew it had a bleak ending going to it. And I still like when that ending happened, like I was like literally like my mouth was on the floor. I was like, oh my God, I can't believe they did that. It's it's so depressing and it it, it weirdly brings me so much joy. And the movie is solid too. Like Marsha Gay Harden is this like um religious zealot that's like you know, it's a, the main story is like a whole bunch of people trapped in a supermarket while there's creatures out. And you know the the real monsters are within. It's this humans, and um, I think it's just you know typical Stephen King story that I think Darabont made even better. You know who would uh, you know who went and seen this movie uh, multiple over three times and would would Your dad? Like, oh yes, yes, sir. He loved this movie, and rightfully so. Um, unlike Mars Attacks, which is good in its own special way. I do believe The Mist is, I own it here in my cabinet of movies. Um, I definitely think that The Mist, which when you talk to me about, again, you know, because I knew we had talked about this before, but The Mist is a solidly scary movie that, uh, you know, it's more science fiction horror, but it's a good movie. And I think um, it's even, I think it's overlooked a little bit um, by a lot of people. I will say I do want to give shout out to the Running Man. The only reason I didn't mention it is I I really like it as a movie, but I like it more as like an art on movie. And apparently, it's like very, very, very loosely based off of a Stephen King novella. Yeah, oh yeah. And um, I haven't seen Carrie. Uh... It's not even like I don't think it's scary. Like I don't watch it because like I think it'll scare me too much. I actually think I could probably handle it. It's just one of those things that like it wasn't shown to me as a little kid and it's like not necessarily that easy to find. Like you, 
I probably could go to the library and get it, but like I would have to outright seek it out. I'm not a huge like the Palma head, so just like it's it's like nothing against it. I just I haven't seen Carrie. I mean, it, it's it's honestly it's dated. It's it's dated for me. It's dated as all heck. Um, it just seems really dated, and Travolta's in it too, which takes it not as serious for me. Um, but still, what's her name does a great job. I mean, Sissy Spacek. Yeah, Sissy Spacek, and even the lady who plays Sissy Spacek's mom in the movie. Oh, she's um, a pretty well-known actress too. Yeah, I'm. I've got it right here in a second. But that being said, I think you know, I think it's a great first movie. I mean, Brian De Palma, as you stated. Um, I mean, Nancy Allen's in the movie. Um, Piper Laurie plays the mother. Um, but she, I mean, she's really scary in the movie. The thing that scares me the most about the movie is the last scene in the movie. And it's, they like, Carrie is gone. She's passed away or whatever. And like, somebody's like pretending they're by her grave and like a hand comes through it. And that's how the movie ends. Like, it's supposed to like be Carrie's hand. It's your typical cheesy horror at the end like oh was she dead or was she not but that being said um i think definitely worth watching but i don't think you're missing a whole lot if you haven't seen that so i'm on the wikipedia page apparently edgar wright is in talks to do a running man remake Mm -hmm. might have to check that out yeah i mean i mean definitely you know, it's even in my list that I created. I totally forgot about Stand By Me until you said it. Because that's one of my favorites. Dude, every time that. we talk about this, you say, I love Stand By Me. It's one of my all-time favorite movies. <laughs> and then every opportunity to talk about it and on Twitter, like, you never do. Yeah, you know, that's the thing is that, you know, I'm, uh, there's so, but like with these Stephen King adaptations, I've seen, I mean, when I mean, when you go through them, there's there's a lot. Like, did you ever end up getting to see Doctor Sleep? Hell's no. But you watched The Shining. I know. I Doctor Sleep is actually more of a, it's really more of a, just a straight up thriller than or even than it is a horror movie. But definitely stay away from Pet Cemetery. That one will freak you out. Um, Fourteen oh eight isn't too scary with John Cusack. And... I saw that. I it like. Literally is like it went in one eye and went and not the other. I don't I have <laughs> no recollection of. Uh, See, that's why I like it's great. I know that if we were like in this, like if we were younger, we were just like piling through movies. That's how a lot of these movies were. You just look at it and be like, "This isn't what is this?" This uh, a really good movie though is 1996 Thinner. I like that movie a lot. That's got a good uh, point. Um, he got a lot of cheesy stuff though too. I mean. Cujo, Killer Dog, that movie isn't great. Um, Sleepwalkers isn't Dreamcatcher. Oh, that one wasn't. Did you ever see that one? Probably not. No, of course not. Uh, not not scary. Not good. This one has Jason Lee, Timothy Oliphant, Damian Lewis, Thomas Jane, and Morgan Freeman. Stay away. Right. But we gotta we gotta move on if we want to make uh, all our topics. All right, all right. Let's keep going. Let's go. What so. Um, moving on from horror movies to horror TV shows, let's yeah. real quickly let's talk about some of our favorite horror TV shows. I uh, okay, do you even have any? Let's start there. Do you got any? So, I, I want to give a shout out to two. I know, of course, not, I don't have any, 
But even as a little kid in the 90s, I was scared of, and I want to give a shout out to Goosebumps and Are You Afraid of the Dark? Yeah, that's not even on my list. And I've written down a lot. Those uh, those are great shout outs. Yeah. Um, and the X Files, which I definitely never watched. All these shows, I actually read the Goosebump books. Those were my jam, but like, so like I could handle the TV show a little bit. But even like a show like Are You Afraid of the Dark was just um, all too scary for me. Like I said, I'm a baby; can't handle this stuff. I really think that you should. Out of all these shows that I'm just gonna riddle off here in a second, I really think that you should watch the X Files. Um, the show is what I would call one of the most. It's one of the greatest shows of all time on television, and it's not necessarily scary. It's a lot more sci-fi. Some of it's thriller. There's actually a lot of comedy. The company nails the role, but that's a an excellent one to bring up. Um, so you've you've never watched True Blood on HBO? Nope. That was a pretty good show. Um, Bates Motel. I'm shocked you haven't watched that. That was a good. Show. I I actually started it because of Vera Farmiga, but yeah. uh, Olivia yeah. Olivia Cook. That's where I found Olivia Cook at. That's where. Um, Netflix has got a, quite a lot of shows. That yeah, Netflix watch. has a bunch. They just spit them out quite a lot. I haven't even watched a lot of these, like these haunting shows. That's not my horror specialty, I'll be honest with you. I'm not a huge fan of the the ghost, and not because it scares me, but because I find it to be repetitive. So the haunting of this house and the haunting of that house and the haunting of that house, it's all just a haunting at that moment. Um as far as comedy horror shows go, they got one on Netflix called Santa Clarita Diet. It's not necessarily straight up horror, but you could consider that because like Adam's Family and the Munsters, those are considered, I guess, scary shows. This Los Spookies on HBO, uh, they got that under the horror category, even though that's more humorous. Walking Dead, you ever watch The Walking Dead? Yeah, I tried to get into the. I like watched the first season, and I was like, "eh." And it's not even like the zombies. It's, it's like, I should say this. it's not like the zombies scare me, but like, it's not like I'm super thrilled with like the zombie genre. So a movie all about the zombie genre, I was like, "That's fine." I feel like a lot of the show was centered like, "Look how cool these kills are," and like that just doesn't interest me. I mean, give me, give me a good story. Burnthal was uh, was the show was good until Burnthal was gone and i think that was like season three but even then it is what it is um ash versus evil dead was a great show that was also on stars and if you like that um millennium was a show that they someone just tweeted out today that was a show that was on around x files time let's give a shout out to i feel like one of the originators the twilight zone yeah i got it right here on my list the twilight zone and outer limits i love the twilight zone um definitely uh but like going through you know you got tales from the crypt you got american horror story but like there's not it's not a huge um there isn't a huge market really for i feel like netflix is really bringing it back it is like they just had the watcher come out which is like kind of fall it's like a little bit thrillery but feels like it could border into horror um I really, um, I definitely liked when it was out. He did a good job with Hannibal when it was on. They consider that a horror show with Mads Millikson. He did a good job on that show. Um, 
Penny Dreadful was good too on your favorite station, Showtime. Um, spooky, but again, uh, you said Netflix, you're right, they come out with a lot of foreign stuff, a lot of foreign horror stuff too that I'm way over my head. Um, when you realize and you dig deep, even in movies, and, and, and there's so many horror movies that like there's a good, and you know me, I know a lot, like I don't really know a whole lot when it comes down to horror movies because there are so many that are released that just don't get seen so like when i saw the barbarian just a little while ago right after it was done i could tell that it was a fresh a new take where a lot of shows it's not it's not fresh you know i I, you know but that being said those are some horror television shows if you had to pick one show out of everything you like you like the horror genre, but for some reason this passed you. Which one would you pick? Honestly, if you could go back and get... And I'm shocked that HBO has not put this on there yet because it's the first show that I have ever remember on HBO. If you can ever get your hands on Tales from the Crypt and watch it. I, not only because of the horror genre, but because you get to see everyone from Brad Pitt to Kirk Douglas starting it's 25 minutes the reason i enjoyed it a lot as a kid is it's like a story within 25 minutes which you realize now when you watch it that you know it's i'm shocked that they were able to pull off and now that's why they've tried so many times to bring it back but the licensing issues that they've had that's one of the reasons why it's not on hbo is because you have to go through it's zemeckas it's joel silver it's the comic book company who owns tales from the crypt but if you get an opportunity to watch that, that's definitely where it's at. Or I could show up with my DVDs to your house, and we could just watch them all in a row. No, I'm just kidding. Let's yeah, do but... it. <laughs> I, I don't know if uh, David Fincher ever directed a Tales from the Crypt, but he did direct a movie called Zodiac that you wanted to talk about. Yes. Yes, I did want to talk about it. And it sounds like at the beginning, you were not a fan of this movie. All right. So I, I first saw Zodiac a couple, I think right around when gone girl was coming out i was like there's a couple of fincher movies that are escaping me let me watch it and i was sitting in my living room it was like a boring saturday and i was watching it on a laptop and i just wasn't feeling it so for the longest time i was like there are people again you know kind of like the michael clayton like there's a lot of people who really love and adore zodiac i think back to how i watched it maybe i didn't watch it correctly I'll admit, maybe I didn't give it as much of a fair chance. So I rented it this weekend. Um, I watched it late at night, turned off all the lights in my basement, watched it on my huge, you know, 70-inch television, and I still felt the same way. Did you fall asleep? Let me uh, I, I did. And that's fair, because honestly, the movie, the first time I seen this movie, was not a fan in any way, shape, or form. Um. And still to this day, I, it's been a lot of people that we talk to on, online that is kind of like, I don't know if they've showed me the way. I, I like the idea of the movie because the reason I was so angry to begin with was that they don't tell you who the killer is in the movie. Okay, so that part actually didn't bother me because like obviously one, they don't really know who the Zodiac killer well, is. And that's fair. And th- the movie like does heavily imply it is one person, and like does strongly suggest it. But here's the thing: so like I fully understand what drew Fincher to this. So like Fincher is notoriously 
a control freak. Like with this movie, like, you know, Downey Jr. and Joan Hall famously had, had to do a hundred takes of the silliest, like simple thing because David Fincher is such an absolute perfectionist. And so the, a lot of this movie is about that drive for perfection, that drive to solve something and like what it does to you for something that is ultimately unsolvable. Like this movie I understand is fully about the effects and the bad effects of being this delving this deeply into something like the Zodiac killer and like what happens when you can't solve it, you know, Donnie Jr. Just becomes a drunk living on a boat. Yeah. Jake Gyllenhaal, you know, his character in order to write this book literally just ignores his wife and kids. Like it, it takes a huge toll on you. And I fully get that that was the point of David Fincher and what drew him to this project it's ultimately it's a lot of dudes talking in rooms that just was not that compelling even something like another mark ruffalo film spotlight of like those characters those reporters talking to people and each moving a step forward and a step forward and it just didn't feel like that this movie felt like and maybe that was also part of it of like wheel spinning it just didn't make for an enjoyable experience and I just didn't care for it and it's well-made and I get why people like it and I'm not shitting. I don't mean to shit on it. If you absolutely enjoy it, so you I just mean scared is what you're saying. Not at all. And I don't know if he was meant to the, the scenes with the Zodiac killer in the beginning. I don't know if they were meant to be scary. I thought they were interesting because a serial killer actually committing a murder is interesting and i think that basement scene of joan hall going to the basement is absolutely incredible it's like this is like one of the best scenes david fincher has ever directed i just think as a whole i i didn't care for it It, i'm looking at here he used all the president's men as his template for this movie um Story of but, a reporter determined to get the story at any cost. Yeah, like that's why I made, you know, I just specifically did yeah. spotlight, but like you're right, the more yeah. apt analogy would be something like all oh, the president's men. But spotlights. And, yeah. and, but, but both of those are followed the same like essential template. Yeah. But both of those movies were infinitely more propulsive and enjoyable to me. Well, in a way that I just couldn't get into Zodiac. Well, right now I'm going to, I have to. I have to lay down one of I, I I've been misconstrued and I need to really wrap this up right now. Okay, I, I've been labeled as someone who does not like long movies, and I've been looking. Someone said this to me the other day online. He's like, "Oh, you know, you don't like long movies, but you might like this movie or something like that." And I think back to all the movies that I love, my favorites, and they're actually all long movies. My problem seems to be is the more recent long movies, like the last you know, five years. This movie's from 2007. It's 157 minutes. Does it feel longer than that to you? Weirdly, I didn't mind the length, even though... So you don't think it drags? Like So, like, the dragging aspect of the movie, you don't feel like the movie drags at all? Like, the pace... It's, 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 man, it's so weird, because part of my problem with this movie is, like, the wheel-spinning aspect. You know, because, like, the case literally stalls right yeah but 
And in movies like, you know, like we talked about Silence a couple episodes ago. That's a long movie that felt too repetitive that like I really felt the length. But I think because you essentially change perspectives throughout the movie, like it it almost starts off as um, Downey Jr.'s story and then it moves into Mark Ruffalo's story and then it moves into Jake Gyllenhaal's story that I wonder if like that's why you know stream of consciousness why even though there were a lot of like repetitive and wheel stalling that it didn't feel the length because of the character perspective changes now i read this do you agree with this they said that zodiac was more adult like than seven is, is that like it would felt no. like well there is like an like a pg-13 element to seven because you know, if you're a young boy like we were, like it's like kind of cool to see like those like greed and yeah, like, those, those crimes like being portrayed. Yeah. So it's not like necessarily like immature or infantile, but there is something that like our dumb lizard boy brains like love, whereas yeah. Zodiac is a little bit more dense that could be construed as more adult. But I don't know, they both feel like Fincher movies to me. So, um, uh, Jennifer Aniston was originally going to be in this movie. <laughs> As the Chloe Sevigny part? Yes. I mean, that's it's a nothing part. <laughs> I know. Um, Brian Cox was in it. He did a fine job, I thought. I, I can't believe how much Anthony Edwards is in this movie, and I had completely <laughs> forgotten he was yeah, in it. Like Because, fourth. like, yeah, he's he's the fourth lead, but, like, whenever I think of Zodiac, I thought of, like, Joe and Hall, Downey Jr., and Ruffalo. Yeah, but like because uh, Edwards is Ruffalo's partner, like he's in the movie a lot. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think uh, you know Anthony Edwards has not popped up too much in those lead in any kind of role of lead. So to see him in that was quite, I remember shocking. I mean, he's only been in since two thousand seven to twenty twenty two to Maverick, only in one, two, three, four, five, six movies. So, I mean, he isn't used a whole lot in movies. So, yeah, that was shocking that. There, there definitely is some unfair Anthony Edwards erasure from Zodiac. <laughs> I mean, part of it is they didn't put his name on the movie poster. Well, yeah, you know, I mean, but there's a lot of people in this movie, you know, a lot, quite a lot of, quite a lot of people. Today um, is Adam Goldberg's birthday, who was in the movie. Yeah, I was like, oh, that's Goldberg. He pops up. Dermot yeah. Mulroney pops up. Um Oh, who's the who's Sydney in Heart Eight? Um, the guy who likes butter in his ass and John Carroll. No, 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 no. Donald Logue, Elias Cotias. Oh my God, Philip Baker Hall. Thank you, Philip Baker yeah. Hall. I like that's right. You're talking about. I like yes, yes. I know what you're talking about now. I don't know why I said Donald Logue, but uh, yes, yes, he's he's. You know, I mean, that's the thing, again, is that I don't find the movie to be Fincher's best movie. Um, generally, the way you felt about it this time was the way I felt about it the first couple times I've seen it. Um, but I thought it was a good one to kind of look a little bit deeper into just because it's David Fincher. Did you say he's got a new movie coming out this year? Or is that... No. No. He does not have anything coming out. Did he have something? 
recently come out. No, uh, I think when Gone Girl came out, I watched it. Oh, he's got, he's currently right now, that's right, he's got something coming out with Fassbender, who's playing a killer. Go figure. Another killer movie. Um, I guess it's a comic book adaptation of the killer. I don't know what the hell this is, but Fincher is always doing something, and I would say that definitely Zodiac would be bottom tier Fincher in my eyes, but that's, you know. Oh, man, a, a, a movie written by Andrew Kevin Walker Directed by Fincher, I think that is literally seven, but like starring Michael Fassbender. I mean, yeah, and Tilda Swinton said she's in it too. Um, it was uh filming wrapped on the 28th, March 28th. So, I mean, but again, it's Netflix. So, oh, yeah, man, you had me until you said Netflix. I know, you know, and but hey, I mean. You know, I mean, it's Fincher. It's a killer movie. I mean, we'll have to wait and see. It's I mean, literally, if you just said Andrew Kevin Walker, David Fincher, Tilda Swinton, Michael Fassbender, I'm like, I'm fucking in. But like, I'm, I'm shocked uh, when I asked you that you've never watched Mindhunter. That seems right up your alley. That's something that you would like a lot. Uh, no? I watched the first episode and I wasn't thrilled with it. I, I probably mean, should give it another watch, but... Honestly, though, it's one of those that it's like, it could be one of those that, like, how do I say it? It's, it's It could be not as great as people make it out to seem to. So that's why yeah. it's curious to hear your opinion on it. But speaking about TV shows, let's end it. I want to talk a little bit more about it. Um, the season finale of House of the Dragon aired last Sunday. The first season is in the books. Let's dive deep into it. Let's do it. We are we are done with that this first season. Yes. Alright, so I I I'm eventually gonna repeat myself because I think some of my criticisms have been true throughout the entire series and it didn't change. Uh-huh. But I do want to start off with the positives of I do actually like this show. I feel like it hasn't necessarily gotten across when we've talked about it. And I think the, a lot of the reason I like this show is that it does give me that Game of Thrones dopamine hit. Yeah. And there is a lot of the DNA of Game of Thrones in the show that I do quite enjoy. And from the very get-go, I said, I want a show that's mainly focused on successions and not necessarily focused on dragons. And in theory, that is what this show delivered. But that being said... It still felt the show overall felt too insular. And there was a lot of talk about succession that just kept being repetitive. And if you're going to talk about the concerns of ruling a country, it would be helpful to see the country. So that's why I, I did kind of like the ending because it does feel like as the show is going to go forward, we are going to go see more of this world. And that has me excited. And also, for as much as I don't necessarily want to see the dragons, that dragon scene to end the episode was fucking awesome. Oh, yeah. The shot of... You see the little kids, uh, I think it's Luke, his dragon, you know, flying in the air, and then Eamon's dragon 
his shadow just looming over the dragon. I was like, that's so fucking cool. And we talked before about She-Hulk about the special effects. I think the dragon special effects on this show, and it was true on Game of Thrones as well, I think are absolutely fucking incredible. Despite the dragon obviously not being a real animal, these things feel and look like real animals. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, those dragons are 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 really awesome. Um, so much so that I it took me all this whole episode to turn to my wife and say, How many dragons are in this show? And then she explained to me who has more and these dragons and that dragons and I'm excited because she just picked up the book from the library and she's gonna read it. So now I can ask more questions. When just... Damon said that he had thirteen dragons, I'm like, What? Yeah, where did this come from? I mean, because I'm so used to Game of Thrones, she only had three. Now we're like literally in the land of dragons, and I guess I haven't focused on the dragons at all in this whole show until just now, which the name of the show spelled House of Dragons um, probably would have been important for me, not really, but to see more about the dragons. But that scene in the sky, you are absolutely right. Um, I've seen a lot of pictures since then that people have posted um that stupid little dragon though why did it have to blow its fire in the big dragon's face i mean that's pretty much what got it eaten right honestly a whole lot of rhaenyra's side is just really super bad tactical mismanagement the fact that her (laughs) kids are not warriors the fact of like this plan of like even sent like this kid did not want to go and you're going to send a dragon you're going to send him off just bad mistake like a lot of l's on her side the fact that like she left all those years ago like we didn't we didn't really get into episode nine a whole lot because like we ran out of time and i I do think episode nine and ten are really good companion pieces of nine focusing on the the green side with uh, your girl olivia cook and um reese ifans and like I, i tweeted this as a joke and nobody saw it but like Home court advantage matters, man. Like, literally being able to sit in that chair. like, And we we saw it in Game of Thrones, too, of, like, despite all these people claiming power, Joffrey was the one who's literally there with a crown on his head. Like, goes a long fucking way. So you being, like, you know, chilling in the countryside with your family for a nice extended vacation is not a great way to retain power because, like, what did you expect would happen when Viserys, when your boy Patty eventually died? You can't literally be there. Like, literally, it's like possession is two-fifths of the law. Like, possessing that chair goes a long way. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like anything else in, in life. If there's somebody who's going to pass away and they got a lot of fortune and usually there's, like, people surrounding that fortune and then there's somebody who lives like in california the vultures will usually get it first and well because they've been surrounding it and that's why she goes off and you know i i I definitely i think i i liked episode nine more than i well the dragon part in 10 was the best part out of both but i'm a huge fan of the green council that's the side that i i'm for for the reasons that you just stated um I think uh, Princess, Ra- how do you pronounce it, Rhaenys? What's her name? The one who so has the, the ex- first birth scene. 
Oh my, that fucking seed, man. So she is Renera. Renice is Stephen Trufant's wife. Oh, okay. She, Renera, then that whole premature labor. Holy, she fucking pulled her baby out of her body. What the fuck? You know, um, give me foot fetish scenes any day of the week. There was a lot of missed pregnancy in this season. That there was a lot of it. Let's just say more than I think where Game of Thrones hit. You know, I didn't remember seeing this much. But that being said, I don't know if they needed to show the baby hitting the ground too. I mean, that was she fucking grabbed the head and pulled this baby from her body. It was. It was. It was. Do it was not want. But I that that. That, that part sways me none for the show because the show, like you, um, it gives me that feeling of Game of Thrones. Now, I don't feel like it's as serious yet, but I think it's opened up here at the end for more. But I'm curious to see where we're going because now 2024 will be when we will be, when this will be coming back. So you say 2024, it's two years away. That's a, that's a long time. I know, but we're, 2022 is almost over, and we're definitely not getting the show within a year. Do you know what I mean? No, yeah. Well, we're getting in two years. That's what they just announced. Right. It's two years. That's a long time. So there was – this is what we've criticized throughout you know, recapping the show is that – and I think you'll agree with me that the show felt like a prologue. The show kind of felt like – and it happened with the time jumps of like, we need to show you these specific events – we need to kind of show you how these relationships work because when we really get into the nitty gritty, that's when it'll pay off and maybe it will, but it didn't make for the most enjoyable season of television, which I think it's completely fair to judge a season of television is like, can we like, how did this chapter in the book work for you? And I don't think it worked that well. And I also do wonder if, the show was going to be this insular and really only going to focus on four houses. Did you need a Han Solo character or a Tyrion character, that audience avatar who can look at this world and go, this fucking world, right? The show didn't even have that. And while it had some interesting characters, I really do like Laris, who had the foot thing. I think that's a super like interesting, like for a guy with a club foot having a foot fetish, I actually think is a really interesting trait. I think he's a really interesting, sinister, enjoyable character. But as a whole, I think you needed more of an audience avatar to help really bring you into this world. If you were going to be this, only focus on these characters. Again, it's been a long time since I've sat and watched Game of Thrones. But that being said, you know, these characters, even those twins that they introduced, like, I don't, when did they introduce those two twins? Was it the last? Eric and Eric? Yes. They like, was that the last episode? Because I I don't really remember those guys until the very end when they're like arguing. But that being said, they look like they're setting them up to be somebody. Like, there's characters that I believe are there. And I'm curious to see now what they, I'm always curious to see of where they're going. Yeah, that, that's the another problem with the time jump is that... So are these people coming back, do you think? Or do you think they're doing yeah, another The time? Eric's... Oh, no, I don't think they're doing another time jump. Okay. Because I think the Dance of the Dragons, which is what the story is setting up, takes place within like a two-year time frame. 
So I'm trying to understand then. Let's go back. Do you think that that did we really need that first part done? Like, I mean, when you're talking about time, this could either have been split into two seasons to make it, oh, you know, flow better. Or did we need that whole first part if we were just trying to get to the Dance of Dragons? What was what did we learn in that first part? Yeah, I'm I think we even said, at least I said at the time of at that first time jump. Could you have just made this the pilot, made it a little bit of an extended, you know, the pilot? So you can like get some a little bit of that backstory into this story. Maybe a little bit you get the um Allison's Rainier dynamic. You technically you miss the big reveal of Viserys telling Rhaenyra about the Song of Ice and Fire prophecy. Do you, I don't know, man. I, I kind of think it wasn't was not necessary. Do you think do you so like then you go and you just there's just a lot. It's a honestly, I I I think it was a fine show, but there's a lot of holes in the in the plot that I don't remember so much at the beginning of Game of Thrones. But that being said, you know, I do believe every show has a chance to go to the old drawing board and try to work out some of those kinks. Um, I think they split them good. I think maybe what they should have done is they should have backed these two up, should have been eight and nine. And then they should have done a 10th to kind of wrap it all, like the season up, because it really didn't wrap anything up. You know, I mean, most seasons, there's kind of, even in the Game of Thrones, it's more of a wrap-up. This is more... That's why, like, I feel like this first season was a prologue more than anything. That And that makes sense when you say it like that. Like, especially at the very end when, you know, she starts mentioning, like, names like Stark and Baratheon and storm's end and the north and the veil and aaron <laughs> just you like know, I, it really was like that leonardo dicaprio once upon a time in hollywood meme of him snapping on the fingers and looking at the tv it's like i recognize those names i know what they're doing <laughs> um and that's why i'm a little bit hopeful going forward as you right not only like we've established everything we've laid the foundation I may not have enjoyed necessarily how the foundation was laid, but now that it's there and I get to enjoy the walls being built and the rooms being created. And I do, you know, it's going to be a long time before this happens, but I'll be interesting to see what our feelings are when the series is over. Cause I do remember being in like season four, season five of game of Thrones being like, this show is not really doing anything. And it's the greatest show on television because it laid so much groundwork that it just kind of allowed these characters to be and these characters we've grown to love. I think the the first season of Game of Thrones was more successful, but regardless, I do wonder if this is real. And and obviously you and I didn't read the books, so like we don't even know necessarily the story, but we're only judging it from uh, a viewer of of the television show. And it's Ryan Condal and George R. R. Martin's job writing a television show to give a television show for everyone. And I don't know how successful this was on its own. I do have a feeling, and maybe it's more hopeful because I do like how it ended to expand the world. I, I do hope this was just, like I said, a prologue laying the groundwork for, and I think once we finally get into the Dance of Dragons, it's really going to get to another level that we'll enjoy more. You know, I, I think that... Uh... 
one thing that they always are able to pull off, and this did do it great, was getting good actors on the show. I mean, both Game of Thrones and this had solid cast. I mean, our problems, I don't think, are with the actors. Do you think there could have been better actors, or do you think that was... I mean, eventually, like, the ages, like... The time jumps bugged me. It was like more of like these actors don't look the right age. Oh well, yeah. But no. like now, now that like I think the actors now, as they are basically going to be the actors for the rest of the show, I think it'll be more fine. We'll get used to it and we'll settle in. But I mean, an actor we haven't mentioned yet, and uh, he was my favorite character. Damon was, you know, Matt Smith. Yeah. I think is is the most fun character, and again, I think part of my. Again, this is like, you know, when you've done 10 episodes and kind of the same faults. I think a, the show at the very beginning, Damon really got to sing. And then after, you know, he defeated the triarchy, he was kind of like in the background, more like, a you know, waiting to come to the forefront. And especially this last episode, you know, really got to see a lot of Damon shine for good and for ilk, you know, choking Rhaenyra, you know, taking the big L for that one. But it, I, I think... He Matt Smith is such a dynamic actor, and I think once he really gets to sink his teeth into that role going forward, it's going to make for a more enjoyable viewing experience. Yeah, I definitely agree. I agree with what you said. Very good. So, so yeah, listen, I, I I am looking forward. I I really like. I I think the Rhaenyra and Damon's tactical planning for years and for this day going in into battle is is very piss poor i think they're playing from behind even if they have multiple dragons um i think you gotta know they had joffrey waiting the wings to to marry to send luke being like i'm already betrothed just we've seen a show granted they can't see 200 years into the future you gotta know how the game is played and rhaenyra and damon i don't think are playing the game very well so, I like well, I like Rise Ithens. I think he's doing a good job being a behind the scenes weasel, I guess you could call you can call it. I like the meeting on the bridge even. Um but like you're right though, like even Matt Smith grabbing her by the neck, Damon grabbing her by the neck. I mean, that's already showing a sign of weakness on their side. That they can't handle adversity. There's a lot of stuff going on. They're not prepared. So it's curious to see now how the Greens are going to react. Because that's why I said I wish they would have at least seen the reaction to her, Olivia Cook, finding out about the sun die, you know. But we don't know how they, what the reaction is, and we won't until we come back. That was one thing I just wish would have been different. But Yeah, one of the things, like, you know, I mentioned the marriage proposal. One of the things that made Game of Thrones so interesting was how the people in power kept power and how the people who were so close to power could take steps towards obtaining that goal. And one of the things, you know, was marriage. You know, the things that, you know, I'm spoiling Game of Thrones that brought down Rob Stark was he married a commoner. And it's like, bro, <laughs> this is why you died in the Red Wedding. Just, <laughs> you know, you can just marry the girl and fuck the commoner as your side piece. It's okay in this world. <laughs> This is how you play the game. <laughs> I like it. I like it a lot. And I, th- I think if Renice and Damon are going to, um, you know, they're, they're already showing that I don't think they're playing the game very well. And, well, no. Uh, and I mean, honestly, for me as the viewer, I'm still having a hard time with their whole relationship. But that's just me. 
because I find it odd. It's her uncle. Uh, I don't know. You know, maybe that's, I don't know. I know it's a different world, but. It's still better than uh, Olivia Cook's oldest son and daughter fucked and had yeah, a bunch of kids. Yeah, that's, that's even, that's way, that's way worse. Yeah. Olivia Cook just comes across on her face. She doesn't look very confident. She looks like almost like, what the hell's going on around me? I don't know what decision I'm making. I don't know. That's how she comes across to me. She doesn't come across as like scary. She sure doesn't like threatening. Her dad is doing pretty much all the talking, it seems like. But at the same time, her scene with talking to the um, the helper that her oldest son raped. Yeah, that's true. That was like a um, like a not scary, scary moment of like, ooh, you a bitch. Yeah, that's true too. You know, I have to rewind that part because I don't... I, I think Olivia Cook's doing an incredible job because I do awesome. think I do think part of the Allison character is more of like, yeah, she is learning more and more to to connive and be a weasel but there are That's times kind of where I she's mean. like and i like it i'm not saying it's a bad thing i'm saying yeah. i like that character the way like some in game of thrones that you know right off the bat joffrey was a bad person she's coming more like you said that was a perfect thing she's learning on the job so yeah so if you were to give house of dragon a grade what would you give it i'd give it a b minus yeah, that's kind of where I'm at, B, B minus. You know, I mean, and the only reason is is because, you know, I it wasn't, you know, and I think the whole time, though, I'm comparing it to Game of Thrones. So in a world where this was the first show, I don't even, would you have watched the show if there never was a Game of Thrones? I mean, probably, but it's also weird because, like, that's, like, tough with, like, these prequels. Like, the whole reason it exists is because something yeah. else exists, right? That's true. And like part of the reasons Game of Thrones was so great, it was such a subversion of those fairy tale and sword and sandals tropes. Yeah. And now like this is like a history lesson. So it's like it's just different. It's like I said, I like I'm excited for the future, but I just think that this season was just fine. Yeah, I mean it, it's I'm always curious to see where they're going next, but like I said, we're gonna have to wait. Yeah. Anyway, so that's I think the wrap up for House yep. of Dragons. Thankfully, I won't have to talk about it for another two years. Um, <laughs> another movie that did get released this past weekend was Black Adam. So we are going to talk about The Rock and talk about the state of uh, DC next week. And it's also We're... interesting is like this morning James Gunn was just announced as the head of overseeing the whole DC movie studio. So that'll be interesting. What's ironic too is that yesterday when I was just adding more topics to our list, I added The Rock. So when you said it today, I'm like, I just added that. That's actually, that's gonna, that's a good one. And yeah. also, uh, what do you call it's returning uh, this weekend? Um, Emmy Award winning show. Oh, what is it? The White Lotus is coming back Sunday. Ooh, interesting. So, a lot of good stuff. So, thank so, you. Yeah, we uh, Tony was very like. Peep behind the curtain. We we had the set list that we talked today. Everything we wanted to talk to, we did get through. But he's like, here's the topics. We have to talk about everything. Yeah, like, I, you know, it, it was, you know, I, you know, I, I feel like I've lately, especially these last three weeks, I'm like, I look like, I look like McLovin putting in the thought in the middle of every second I get into these episodes. So I want to make sure we're giving it our all. Which is, which is fine. Um, but I mean, when, just we go off, when we go off on, 
you know, when we go off on camp, you know, that's totally cool. I just, you know, not so, that, so just FYI, like when we were talking about George Clooney and Julia Roberts, but we're not talking about the the movie that literally made like ten times what um, Tickets to Paradise made. That's why we will talk about it. Um, promise but you. Now you're also going to have to ask yourself. Um, most of our viewers, would you rather find yourself watching one of those George Clooney movies or watching one of those rock movies, which we'll figure out next yeah. week. <laughs> I, I just think we'll talk about it next week. And I've, I've talked to some people on Twitter about it. I just think the rock is a more interesting topic of discussion. Uh, I would have to disagree. So you say right. someone who likes Scorsese and Tarantino would like the rock more than listening about Soderbergh and George No, I, I think because of the rock's flaws, he's more interesting to talk about. Oh, uh, well, we'll have to decide. We each have talked to a lot of people, so we each have our own yeah. different views. So we will talk about, we'll definitely, we have, we'll definitely decide more topics later in the week. But I promise and you. And the we, reason I've talked about the topics thing since you brought it up is because we keep getting to all of your topics and we keep ditching my topics. So I wanted to make sure we got to all of my topics. That's <laughs> fine. I, I honestly, I honestly don't mind. I, I think we had best, a great conversation. I have the best car scenes and the best thing. I've written a whole page for both of them, and we haven't even gotten to them in like four weeks. I know. I don't have a whole lot of car scenes, which is why partially I keep. I know you keep pushing my stuff back. I, I do. I do have good stuff to talk about. Best wardrobe. And, and I think about that. There's at least fifty great car scenes in movie history. You, you I know you come up with some. But till right. that time, till that time. Just, just, just a little tickler. Yes. To, to what your beak for next episode. Behind, behind the curtain. Um, thank you so much for listening. My name is Adam. You can follow me on Twitter at Millennial Socks. And I am Tony, and you can find me at the Sugar Baggy. Uh, you can follow our podcast at the Hookup on Film. Best thing you can do is to retweet us and to tell a friend to listen to the show. We really appreciate it. We love everyone who's listening. Um, thank you. Something you and I will have to discuss on air. Maybe we'll do it. Maybe we won't. Maybe I shouldn't tease it. But uh, a live stream where you and I watch a movie live and have people follow along with us. Oh, just the Giants. honestly, if I could be frankly honest with you, I have, I am, if I told you I haven't spent at least a couple of, I'm trying, I need to reach out to someone who knows what the hell they're doing because this is above my uh, technological grade, yeah. but I think it would be amazing. So look out for that. We'll be doing so, that. something that's percolating. Yes. We're working in the lab. Take care if, my man. If for some reason you want to email us, you can do it at the hookup on film at gmail.com. Uh, what do you got talking after, uh, after we are after wrapping up my last six movies for the Halloween season. And yeah, talking about some Friday the 13th, wrapping Excellent. it up. It's Adam's favorite, Jason Voorhees. I, I, he didn't want to talk about it on the show because he likes him so much. I thought I'd do it by myself. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> Take care, my man. Take care. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Peace Thank out. You. Peace. All right. Well... Because I brought it up at the beginning and I woke up this morning before the episode dropped, I would not be able to live with myself if I did not share this bit of information. Um, I mentioned George Clooney being in some scary movies, and not just from Dust Till Dawn. His career started in 1986 with Grizzly 2 Revenge. Oh, wow. This is, uh, this is quite the horror movie. And then he was in Return to Horror High. 
But these are bit roles, too, that they put his name on even after he became famous to get him even more credit. But the one that people talk about the most, um, Return of the Killer Tomatoes. Yes, that's why if I did not ta even mention Return of the Killer Tomatoes and this being a, somewhat of a Halloween episode, I would not be able to uh, live with myself. Um, really, again, ridiculous. Another early, early role. It has a cult following. Um, I mean, he plays a roommate. Um, George Clooney, and his, and his description is a suave ladies' man. But again, um, Chad... Is his or his name is Matt in the movie? Um, ridiculous, uh, really, 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 really ridiculous movie. And I think uh, if you have a chance and you're into something scary, just listen to the title: "Return of the Killer Tomatoes." It literally has killer tomatoes in this movie. Um, but Clooney definitely got his start in the beginning with straight horror movies before even dipping into the ER stuff, so, like, it's interesting to see some of these early movies from, from him, um, Julia Roberts, she also was in some, ho uh, horror movies, uh, Mary Riley, which was a gothic horror movie, but the one that I like to think about quite a lot is a Joel Schumacher movie from 1990 called Flatliners, where they also made an awful, awful remake, but, uh, great, great movie, Flatliners from 1990, is it has Kiefer, William Baldwin, Oliver Platt, uh, Kevin Bacon, a really, really awesome a psychological horror movie um, about five medical students who attempt to find out what lies beneath death by conducting medical experience that produce near-death ex experiences. Definitely, definitely worth checking out. Uh, Julia Roberts, not a whole lot of horror movies, or George Clooney, besides the earlier talked about from Dust Till Dawn and those movies which I brought up. Um, John Favreau doesn't have any straight horror movies, but there's a movie he does have that I would just like to talk about really quick that he acts in. And to me, this movie is straight up, not a, not a conventional scary movie, but uh, everything that happens in it I think is pretty scary, and it's right in the title, and that's called Very Bad Things. Definitely check out Very Bad Things. Uh, pretty much is about... Uh, bachelor party um gone wrong death happens um and it just pretty much gets out of hand and to me it's pretty scary it's technically a black comedy directed by peter berg cameron diaz is in it daniel stern jeremy piven christian slater really worth checking out but i i would have been beside myself if i didn't share some of this information with you um very important to think of return of the killer tomatoes especially when talking about George Clooney. So, uh, thank you very much for letting me share this little tidbit. And now let me present to you the end of our horror journey into my countdown of films. Oh, don't worry, that's just Jason. Don't be scared. Hello, and welcome to our final installment 
of this year's Halloween movies. I've counted down, so far I've counted down 25 of them. I have six more to go to make it to the 31 days. We, okay, Jason, that's enough cha-cha-chas here for a second here. Let's, let's, let's calm it down there. I'm, I'm getting scared here. Okay. So what I want to talk about really quick here is my 26th entry is Child's Play 2. No, not Child's Play 1, which is amazing, or Child's Play 3, which is also amazing, but Child's Play 2. Andy is a little bit older. Um, He's a little bit wiser. Um, He's also trying to warn his new adoptive family, which he takes in in the second movie. Uh, Well, let me just say, Chucky's even more ridiculous. The one-liners add up to a whole lot of humor. Let me just say, it is an all-around really, really, really good time. Um, next, we're going to talk about, for 27, 30, and 31, we're going to talk about, well, Halloween 2. I love Halloween 2 for many, 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 many different reasons. Um, one of them being that it's one of the first movies I remember that scared me quite a lot. Just imagining when I was like 8 or 9, seeing Michael Myers in a hospital stalk people with that mask. Um, I was scared to go into hospitals for a while, not for the doctor's reasons or for other reasons that you would be scared, but for thinking that Michael Myers was somehow going to uh, show up. Yeah, that uh, never happened. He has never showed up at any hospital I've been at, but I've seen a whole lot of things that are way worse than Mike. Well, is there anything worse than Michael Myers? We'll continue. Um, Halloween 3, uh, what I would call an instant classic. Uh, Michael, well, is no longer around. And Michael is, well, let's say, living probably in the sewers like he was in this last movie that wasn't very good. But in this movie, it has a little bit to do a little bit about uh, some masks. Ooh, some spooky, scary masks. So if you're looking for a Halloween movie that does not have Michael Myers and it's kind of scary, well, it's not kind of, it is very scary uh, and stands out on its own, I would check out Halloween 3. It's definitely a must, a must watch. Um, Carpenter is still involved with it. Um, he is not directing, but he is involved in the movie, um, in the producing side. Um, Tom Atkins stars in the movie, who's also in John Carpenter's The Fog. He's also in Creepshow. Really, really also in some other things, but definitely worth checking out if you're looking for something scary, a little bit of the occult, um, I really like this movie a lot, I think, because as time has gone on, it definitely has um, stood the test of time to be what I would deem as quite, quite um, awesome. And at the time, it kind of got panned, but I don't know why, because growing up, uh, we only had about ooh, 10 to 15 books in the house, and for some unknown reason, we had the Halloween 3 paperback novel. So growing up, I'd always look over and see this paperback novel of Halloween 3 and be kind of curious to what it was like. Did not watch it until way later because I was listening to people who said it wasn't any good instead of just going ahead and watching it. Definitely worth checking out Halloween 3. Um, This last Halloween movie I'm going to talk about which is going to bring us to 7, 28. This is our 29th movie we're talking about here. Um, 
I'm going ahead and going to say that uh, Halloween 4 is probably the one that, well, one that sticks with me the most that I enjoy. It's probably the one I've watched the most. I watched this one way before I watched Halloween 1. I love its cheesiness. I love its its coolness. I love everything about this movie. Definitely worth checking out. Um, I think it is what I would call, besides the original two, definitely true to what those original movies were going for. Definitely worth checking out. I think it's way better than especially the last couple. But you be your own judge and check out that movie for uh, Halloween 4. Definitely worth the price of admission on that. Um, number 30. Our number 30 movie is uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2. This would not be any kind of a horror countdown if we did not include one Frederick Krueger. And I do believe Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2 often gets overlooked for some unknown reason. Um, lots of great one-liners in that movie. I definitely dig that one quite a lot. I think the graphics are pretty cool. And I often think that Freddy is probably one of the most, if not the most scariest one out of every of them. Chucky's pretty scary too. Um, if you're yesterday the 25th, if you're uh, you were listening to this, was National Chucky Day, Child's Play Day. That's pretty scary stuff. I didn't even know they came up with a day of that. But uh, Freddy Krueger, to me, not being able to go to sleep, that's pretty scary stuff. Definitely need to go to sleep. Definitely need to get your rest. Definitely check out Freddy Part 2, which winds us down to the very last one of the series. And this is Friday the 13th. Well, you know what? <coughs> I'm calling an audible here because I was just going to talk about Friday the 13th too. Why don't we just talk about all of them really quick? Don't worry, I won't take up too much of your time. This is going to be under 10 minutes. We're going to try to go through all of these right now. Um, let me start by saying that I think the Friday the 13th, if you're looking for an all-around fun time to watch some some movies, I wouldn't even, even consider some of these scary. I would consider them, well, a little bit more ridiculous, um, so to speak. Friday the 13th Part 1, not to give anything away, Jason isn't even in Part 1. Whoa, Jason isn't in Part 1. His mom is the killer, and Kevin Bacon's in that movie too. Uh, really good, really solid 1980 movie. Uh, check it out to get it started. Um, I like Part 2 quite a lot. Um, part 2 um, is quite a little bit more about Crystal Lake, which he, where he comes from, which Part 1 definitely talks quite a lot about. Um, this takes place five years after the film. Follower uh, Phil follows a similar premise, although now her son, who the mother was going after in part one, I know I'm confusing you here, let's catch you up really quick. In the very first movie, this mother, the reason the mother is the killer in the first one, it isn't Jason, is because she wants to punish. She wants to punish the camp counselors who made poor little Jason drown when he was younger. She should have been paying more attention to him is kind of what I said, but that's a little bit different. This one, Jason is back and he is now the main antagonist. And unlike the Halloween movies, he does not go away. So we got part two. I consider part two pretty awesome. Um, good stuff in part two. We're definitely worth checking out. Um, these movies did really well too, making this one was a 1.25 budget and it made back about 20 times that, making 20 
$1 million. Part 3 was in 3D. Definitely classic cheese. These are all classic cheese um, in a good way. Horror movies are meant to be cheesy sometimes, and I think this is great cheesy. Um, part 3 is great to see that. Um, I wanted to, uh, before we go move on to Part 3, yeah, Part 3 is definitely worth checking out for many, 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 many different reasons. Um, and those graphics are definitely, if nothing more, worth it to be checked, to be checked out. Um, part four is great. Um, because we got a double dose of some 80s in part four, uh, which is titled The Final Chapter, because they said, you know what, we're not going to do anymore. Yeah, right. They did, uh, we added Corey Feldman and Crispin Glover from Back to the Future, Marty McFly fame. Really, really good stuff there. Um, A New Beginning, Part 5, good stuff. Part 6, Jason Lives, good stuff. Part 7, The New Blood, good stuff. Jason Takes Manhattan. Ah, Now we're getting a little bit cheesy. Um, Goes to Hell. Ooh, Jason Goes to Space. Ooh, now we're really, 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 really in cheese territory. Um, Freddy vs. Jason from 2003. Very, very fun. A nice fun movie um and by fun i mean scary and well it's gory and it's that but it's just fun it's a lot better than jason x and jason goes to hell and jason takes manhattan and the new blood and well i, I lied a little bit um there was a movie here where jason um um what's the, uh how do I say this? You know, and I think that's why um, this new movie gets compared a little bit to Jason. Because in one of these movies, um, Jason decides that he's going to... Um, there's another girl who has special powers. And, and this is in the New Blood. This is part seven. And she's kind of like Carrie. And they're going to face off. And, ah, ooh, you know. Um, negative reviews. Ooh, this is kind of the beginning of that, like I said, until Jason versus Freddy. But uh, all still worth watching. I mean, if you're going through all of them, they're not one is definitely worth not watching. Um, I really, honestly, I like this remake that they did. Um, I think it was really great. I think the camera work was awesome. I think um, Marcus Nispel um, did a really awesome job. And I'm still waiting for a sequel to this movie. It, I think it did well enough, four or five times back its budget. Um, Jared Paladecki, Daniel Panabecker, um, we're checking out some really, really good stuff. Um, but Friday the 13th is kind of where I wanted to finish tonight because this whole thing about Halloween movies, it's all about just having fun and a good time. It is nothing more, you know, these are a lot different than your Martin Scorsese movies or your Quentin Tarantino movies, if nothing more. They're just fun, and if you're looking for a different avenue than comedy, I think horror is another great way to appreciate it. And we're going to continue appreciating it uh, throughout the year, but we wanted to take special special privilege this month, being it's hallowed the month of Halloween. So again, I want to thank my co-host, Adam at Millennial Socks. My name is Tony at the Sugar Baggy, and 
we, as always, will see you again next week for another awesome show. Everyone out there, please, please have a good, good week. Um, support one another. And we will continue to talk movies because that's what we like to do. So, everyone, have a great week. Thank you.